Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Sports Live. We're Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, we're going to be joined by Tim Fitzgerald of GoPowerCat.com. He covers the Kansas State Wildcats and the rest of the Big 12 Conference. We will get Tim Fitzgerald's take on what's going on with Kansas State basketball, as well as Big 12 realignment discussions and uh, the talks with Pac-12 schools moving over. We'll dissect all of that and more coming up when uh, Fitz joins us coming up later on in the show. Plus, we will have our Big 12 breakdown. We'll have Coach Bowie's football fix presented by O'Connor Advice, regroup with a look around the National Football League, and uh, we'll also later on have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more coming up in uh, just a little while from right now. Uh, and uh, Tom Bridges also here with us as well. You'll hear from him later. Uh, jam-packed show today. And uh, fresh off a visit to Daytona Beach, Florida for the Daytona 500. Had an incredible time uh, there. And I got to tell you, it was uh, such a pleasure to be uh, at Daytona International Speedway again for, uh, what was it, my my fourth visit in the last, uh, you know, five years. The only year I didn't go was 2021 when it was uh, very – uh, you know, COVID heavy and everything when uh, it was reduced capacity and all that. But just an incredible experience. Daytona has not disappointed me, has not let me down of uh, my years there at that race and uh, being a part of that, you know, just playing a, a small role in uh, in that race. You know, I mean, um, it's it's hard to really compare. I mean, that, that race, you know, it, it's the biggest of the NASCAR year. And the scene that's just around it, all, all the people I bet, you know, Thomas, he, he told me, he said, you know, uh, who are you going to meet that is not, you know, a, a racing guy of some sorts? And I got to tell you, it's pretty crazy. I've met all sorts of people. Uh, ran into uh, Will Kane uh, from uh, Fox News. Uh, our buddy David Starr was uh, on Fox and Friends on Saturday. So that was cool to uh, see him on uh, firsthand and and uh, that whole experience. So that was awesome uh, to meet Will Kane and uh, that crew, uh, Pete Hegseth and Rachel Campos Duffy and everything from Fox and Friends. And uh, it was there that I actually met uh, Florida Senator Rick Scott was also around. Uh, very nice guy. Didn't know that he uh, lived in Kansas City at one point. So that was uh, pretty cool. Um, saw some of the Barstool gang. Alex Bennett, uh, my, my fellow Oklahoman, uh, Alex Bennett is just terrific. Uh, She's not only stunningly beautiful and attractive, but just funny as hell. And uh, we really hit it off with uh, some great conversation and and uh, talking about the thunder and some alcoholic drinks and everything. And and uh, that was great. And uh, saw Large and Spider, those guys from Barcelona, met them before. So uh, that was pretty unique. And uh, also ran into the comedian uh, John Crist, was there long story short, but, uh, John Crist, the comedian, uh, his girlfriend, I knew in college, we went to a journalism camp together and all these years later, she's dating John Crist now. So I'm like, wow, didn't see that coming, you know, uh, pretty quite crazy. It worked out. So we talked about that. And uh, so that was cool. And, and uh, you know, we, we saw, what, what was it, uh, 
Oh, Pete Davidson was in the house. I didn't get to see a chance to meet Pete Davidson, but I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have recognized Pete Davidson because he was wearing this hood and these big old shades on. And there was an iconic photo I saw of him in uh, Ross Chastain's holler. Ross Chastain at Team Trackhouse. And uh, Ross Chastain, here's a little funny story for you folks. Uh, Ross Chastain, being from Florida and from a family of watermelon farmers, everywhere he goes, this man carries a watermelon and he celebrates his wins by throwing a watermelon on the track. And there was a photo that went around of Pete Davidson with Ross Chastain's watermelon. And I'm like, this is just peak 2023 right here. We got Pete Davidson, Kim Kardashian's ex-boyfriend, at a NASCAR race posing with a watermelon belonging to a NASCAR driver. Uh, that was something else. So uh, that, that was very interesting, to say the least, uh, the way that went down there. But uh, I got to tell you, you know, just the way the weekend unfolded, going to the beach, you know, exploring, seeing a lot of our uh, international friends as well that made the trip. Uh, one of my favorite people, Caitlin Patrick, she was on with us a couple weeks ago on Let's Go Racing, uh, works for the NASCAR Pinty Series in Canada and does a great job with, with that side and seeing the way the sport's growing internationally. I mean, it was just awesome. Uh, Adam Alexander, longtime friend of the show, you know, he was on last week with us from Daytona. He was out there. Uh, Matt Tift we had on. Of course, David was there. Dominic. Um, man, like, to me, that, that's the thing. You know, when, when I go to these races, it's not only just to see a, a great event, to enjoy myself and everything out there, but also to be a part of something bigger, right? To experience, uh, you know, being around people I know. You know, it's like a reunion of some sorts. And that's what this weekend felt like there at Daytona Beach. And uh, just enjoyed every moment of it. Did a lot of partying um, as well. You can't go wrong with that. Made my way to downtown Daytona. And uh, I was able to take down – somebody asked me, one of my buddies, Jonathan Feld, uh, he said, hey, uh, I'll buy you a, a beer bong. And I said, okay, you don't have to tell me twice. And I think my time at Chad Sports – has prepared me, made me like a professional drinker of some sorts because I made that beer bong my bitch. I mean, I, I just took that beer bong down like it was nobody's business. So uh, that was a great time. I was glad I was able to take take care of that beer bong and enjoy myself. And, you know, it, it, here's the thing. You know, I, I could have gone through the Daytona 500, let, let, let's put it this way, very hungover. But shout out to Ibuprofen for getting me through Sunday and feeling right up to speed and not regretting anything I did on Saturday night. Thank you, Ibuprofen, for your help in getting me through the weekend and uh, enjoying everything that was to be had there at Daytona Beach. So uh, that was cool. Another thing, another element I'll tell you guys. Um, my favorite pizza in the entire world is Giordano's there in Chicago. Much better than Lou Malinati's. And I got to tell you, here, here's a horror story for folks out there. So we get this Airbnb, okay? And this Airbnb that we had was about 10, 15 minutes from the track. And we were very excited about having a location that was that close. 
little did we know that this Airbnb was only going to give us about two or three blankets and about three towels for the entire weekend for three people. And that it was a lot smaller than what it, it looked like in the pictures. Um, we were just deceived. We were bamboozled, lied to. Um, it just sucked. This Airbnb we paid for. So since we were flying out of Orlando the next day, uh, we decided that we were going to move for our last night or two to a hotel in Orlando. And this hotel, we didn't know until we got there, had a Giordano's next to it. And I said, guys, we hit the jackpot. I mean, we only not only did we get out of this ratchety Airbnb, we got a pretty dang good hotel. And we were able to... Uh, get a Giordano's next to us. My goodness, like what a win there. Uh, so that was awesome to get some Giordano's pizza this weekend right by the racetrack. And, and another thing, it, here, here's a sign that you're living good. Like this is the only thing I could say about like at a NASCAR race weekend, okay? This is not going to happen to me when I go work NFL games or even college sports for that matter. Um this was a sign of, of being right in the culture, folks. Um, I go to Daytona and I have dinner with uh, with David Starr and some of his fans, and they they do this big old uh, you know crab boil, you know Cajun boil, very good food and everything. And this guy that's running it, he uh, he asked me. He says, "Hey, uh, you want to try some moonshine?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll try some moonshine." It was this uh, this apple pie moonshine, just delicious. Um, and the scary part about it was like you couldn't even tell it was moonshine because it tasted that good and and like you know that that stuff would you go from zero to hundred real quick. I think David asked me pretty fast. You're not driving, are you? I'm like hell no. Um, well, then this guy sent me home with peach moonshine. I can honestly say. I have never been to a sporting event where somebody sent me home with moonshine. Uh, that was one of a kind. That was a one of a kind experience to go home with some moonshine. And then on top of that, the race itself, Ricky Stenhouse uh, gets it done. Very cool for him. First win he's had in five years. Uh, for people don't know, that's uh, that's Annika Patrick's ex-boyfriend uh, with that win. Went to double overtime and everything, so that was cool. Um, you know, that was – Good for him. And Brad Doherty, a former NBA player, was his owner. So uh, good for Brad to get his win in the Daytona 500. That was awesome to see. Dirks Bentley had a nice concert that day. I mean, we had everything. Uh, I'm going to make it what I can do to have an annual visit to the Daytona 500. Everything within my power, I'm going to do what I can to go to the Daytona 500 because it is that unique that awesome of an experience that I can't get anywhere else. And uh, I had such a great time. Going to be going to a race here again in a couple of weeks. I'll be uh, in Las Vegas and uh, back with all my buddies and everything. And should be a good time there in Vegas as well. But Daytona did not disappoint. For everyone that I saw out there, it was so great to see everybody. Um, can't wait to do it again next year for another uh, Daytona 500. The Great American Race. NASCAR's 75th season, the 65th running of the Daytona 500. Uh, I loved absolutely every minute of it. Uh, it was awesome. Um, I drove an electric vehicle for the first time, an EV. 
Um, can't say I'm going to be wanting to buy an EV anytime soon, but I mean, that was cool. I mean, we, we did it all. I mean, we made the most of our weekend. So, uh, so that was awesome. Good weekend in Daytona and, uh, Vegas here in a couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes, but nonetheless, uh, we move on and, uh, I want to talk, uh, to begin today. We'll get to our big 12 breakdown coming up in, uh, just a few moments, but, I do want to get to uh, some NBA news of sorts um, and uh, start there. Then we'll move on, talk some Big 12 stuff uh, as we'll have plenty of football discussion coming up later on. But let's go through a couple NBA headlines here. Let's start with Russell Westbrook. Um, Our audience in Oklahoma, even if you're not a, uh, you know, uh, let me put it this way. You might not be a fan of the teams Russell Westbrook plays for, but I feel like everybody is still a Russell Westbrook fan and cheers on Russ anywhere he goes. I mean, as painful as it was for me uh, with Russell Westbrook wearing a Laker uniform, I was still rooting for Russ to be successful. And, uh, you know, Russ makes his way to the LA Clippers now, takes that buyout. And, you know, I'll say this. I don't know how this is going to work out for Russ. Um, you know, I'm glad that he got out of that dumpster fire that was the Los Angeles Lakers. You know, they got a lot of problems right now. Um, that team, I mean, how do you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy and you don't even look like a playoff team at this point? I mean, just ridiculous uh, what's going on with that Lakers team and, and that organization. So just to get away from that toxic environment there in Los, and with the Lakers – I'm happy for Russell Westbrook on that front. But that said, going to the Clippers here, you know, Kawhi and PG, they've had their issues. We know PG and Russ are good teammates. You know, they had a nice run together in Oklahoma City. Um, I don't know how this is going to go, but I still think Russell Westbrook can play. Uh, I know that he's made his mistakes at times, and, you know, he's not the shooter that he once was, but – I think the perfect role for Russ, you can have him lead your second unit, and he can be as good a sixth man as any player in the NBA at this point. Um, I hope that uh, this L.A. Clippers team figures it out and finds a way to effectively use Russell Westbrook. I'll be rooting on Russ. Glad he didn't have to wear a Utah Jazz uniform. The Jazz are a mess. We know about their bad history, how they treated Russell Westbrook. So um, it makes it a lot easier. To, uh, to cheer on Russ and hope that he he's successful when uh, he can go to a place like the Clippers and get out of the uh, the L.A. Lakers. And, and the thing, too, the Thunder, when they traded Paul George, got all those picks, right, including SGA, uh, in that Paul George deal. And the Clippers have not made it past the second round. And now they add Russell Westbrook to the mix as well. I mean – I know times have been tough for the Thunder over the last couple of years, but golly, I, I'm I'm so glad that it played out the way that they did. They got to capitalize on that on what they got for Paul George, and uh, now we uh, we sit here and say, "All right, Clippers, uh, we, we can root on Paul George and Russell Westbrook. That's fine." Um, while the Thunder are still figuring out their future and trying to build from here at this point, so happy for Ross. Hopefully, they uh, find the right role for him to play with that uh, that second unit there as far as that goes uh, with that team. Uh, Meanwhile, Steph Curry looks like that uh, he's going to be reevaluated in another week. And the Warriors just 
as, as the all-star break is here, the Warriors have been arguably the biggest disappointment in the league this year. They're right at 500, 29 and 29. And, you know, coming off a championship last year, the Warriors just have not looked like that same team at all. And it, it just doesn't make sense. I know that they've had some injuries and some issues here and there, but I mean, are the Warriors going to figure it out? I mean, I heard, you know, Draymond and uh, Charles Barkley were going after it the other night on on, uh, on TNT. And somebody tried saying, you know, hey, this, is, this could be the year that a five or a six seed makes a run. And, you know, I look at – you think about the Western Conference right now. Denver is five games up on everybody. But Memphis is a decent team, Sacramento, the Clippers, the Suns. And then you have the, the Mavs, who are two games above 500, adding in Kyrie here. New Orleans, Minnesota, those are your top eights. With Golden State and Oklahoma City as your bottom two teams at 9 and 10, getting in the play-in tournament here. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of good teams in the Western Conference. Um you know, I, I think Denver is the team to beat. But here, here's where I could I could see where Draymond's coming from as far as a lower seed besides just defending his own team. You know, yeah, the Nuggets are running away with this thing. They look like far and away the best team in the Western Conference so far this year. But even then, do the Nuggets know how to win? Do they know how to win when it matters? History tells us no that they don't know how to win when it matters. And so then that's what could open the door for one of these other teams potentially to make a move. Now, you look at the Mavs since they added Kyrie Irving, and, you know, it's it's been okay. I mean, but they haven't necessarily found their footing yet at this point in time. Um, I would say where I would differ, where I would differ in Draymond as far as a lower seed having their chance to make a run here. I think what could happen is you could, let's say, take a team like the Mavs or take a team like the Suns who just had KD, whatever. Maybe someone in that five, six, seven range. I don't think that a five, six, or seven is necessarily going to be winning the West, but I could see one of those teams make a run in the second half of the season and then they make their way up to the upper echelon and they potentially, you know, end up in the top four seed and win the West from there. That's what I could see happening. I don't think if you're going into the playoffs as a five, six, seven seed, I don't think you're winning it. But I do think that there's still enough time that you can get hot entering the playoffs and enter that upper echelon and be a contender there as far as that goes. So, uh, something to keep in mind on uh, that front. Meanwhile, in the Eastern Conference, Boston and Milwaukee uh, look neck and neck with Boston at 42 and 17, Milwaukee at 41 and 17 at this point in time. Um, and, you know, you, you look at what this, uh, this Celtics team is going through, and uh, Mazolga gets the interim tag lifted. And that was absolutely the right call because all that you've gone through with Udoka and, you know, possibly, you know, the situation of him being with 
uh, somebody that was a subordinate and all that. I mean, it, 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 you can't bring him back. I mean, M.A. Udoka, I, with everything that's been put out there and with the Celtics still winning without him, you just can't go forward that way. So that, to me, was the right call uh, to make that decision. And for the success that we've seen the Celtics still have without M.A. Udoka, that was an easy call as far as I'm concerned for the Celtics to go forward there. What, what I find interesting now, when I look at the Eastern Conference, you know, Brooklyn's 10 games above uh, 500 at this point. I think Brooklyn is about to really fall off without Kevin Durant, Kyrie, and company. Uh, you know, they're going to take a significant step back. Atlanta fires Nate McMillan. He and Trey Young couldn't get along. They haven't been the same since, uh, you know, they made that run to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, a couple of years ago. They've really hit a wall there themselves. For me, I, I'll tell you this much. You know, Boston, Milwaukee, your top two teams. If there's a team that could make a move that I'm not selling just yet, it's the Miami Heat, the seventh seed. Something tells me that Miami could still put this thing together and that that group with Jimmy Butler and company, we've seen them win deep, you know, in, in, uh, in the season before make those playoff runs. Something tells me do not ride off the Miami Heat just yet when it comes to the Eastern Conference. So those are a couple of the things uh, I'm looking at, you know, as the all-star break is here, kind of just catching up to speed. It is, it's a wide open race for this NBA championship right now. This is the most wide open year I think we've seen in quite some time uh, as far as I'm concerned. To me, I'm very intrigued. To, uh, to see where this goes. I'm rooting on Russell Westbrook. I hope that works out. Um, you know, the, the Pelicans, you know, when Zion returns, watch out for those guys too. Um, here we go, folks. I mean, get your popcorn ready, buckle up, because uh, we are in for a very interesting second half of the NBA season here with a lot of unknowns at uh, this point in time. So certainly something to follow there on uh, that front. Uh, our Big 12 breakdown is uh, coming up next. Uh, we'll uh, talk with uh, Tim Fitzgerald coming up in uh, just a few moments and uh, get his thoughts on uh, everything that's going on at the Big 12 Conference. Um, but uh, first, let's go ahead and uh, give our perspective. The Big 12 Breakdown, Tyler Jones here with you with a look uh, across the Big 12 Conference. And uh, we begin each week giving you our hot takes in uh, the Big 12. And I got to give, you know, my hot take kind of leads into what I want to talk about first of of realignment. And I got to say, for the first time in a long time, maybe if ever, the Big 12 on the Reliant realignment front is is in the driver's seat okay this is something that we typically don't say about the big 12 that they you know are are in the driver's seat this league has been so reactionary over the years and made you know so many self-inflicted wounds and mistakes and gotten in their own way and and all that over the years it feels weird to talk about the big 12 being in the driver's seat but here they are they're in there right now with uh, being the the conference that uh, 
has the most to gain, essentially, in uh, this realignment crowd. And, you know, credit to Brett Yormark for everything that he's done at this point. You got the new TV deal done. And, you know, no one is having any questions about the Big 12's visibility. You're going to be on ESPN. You're going to be on ABC, ESPN, FS1, uh, you know, Fox. People are going to be able to find you. You took care of business there. You got the TV deal you wanted. Uh, as far as the major networks go, you have no visibility issues. And you still have a streaming component. I mean, you're working with ESPN Plus, And I think about every major sports fan has ESPN Plus. So you got that going for you. All of that is good. And then the Oklahoma and Texas thing. I understand that Oklahoma and Texas, their contracts called for them to, you know, pay an $80 million exit fee. And they exit at $50 million. And you know, get to leave a year early and all that. But you, this is going to be a pretty peaceful exit of sorts here. You're looking at this, this Oklahoma-Texas situation where everyone's ready for them to leave. They're ready to go. And they'll move on their way. And you kept ESPN and your TV partners happy. You were able to work it out with Fox. You got them stuff that they wanted to allow this exit to happen. To me, that 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 says a lot right there that you got this done as peacefully as possible. These exits usually are not civil. They do not go well. And for the most part, it seems like things went just fine. And so now it's the expansion part. Now this is this is the big prize here. And Brett Yormark came into the league with those, those three expectations, get a new TV deal done, work out the exit deal for OU in Texas, and then go expand the league. And he's already taken care of the first two things. Now the next step comes to expansion. And you don't have to go very far to go to social media and find all the speculation, the rumors, the reports, I mean, you got guys like this McIver guy from West Virginia that just throws a bunch of stuff out in the wall. I think he's pretty entertaining. I don't know how reliable he is, but, I mean, you got him. You got friends of the show like John Kurtz and Pete Mundo that have done a really good job with their sites. Just a lot of good coverage on this situation. And, you know, I I, I think the the Pac-12 yahoos that have – defended this league, uh, you know, from day one. The, you know, John Cantanos and John Wildners of the world and Stuart Mendels and all these that, you know, tried to paint this picture that wasn't as bleak as what it was when at the end of the day they were just doing PR for the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is collapsing. It is collapsing right as we speak. And, you know, the, the Big 12 is in the driver's seat, and it's just a matter of being patient. It feels like with every passing day, the Pac-12 is digging themselves into a deeper hole. Then it's getting worse, and it's getting worse for the Pac-12. First, it started out with, ah, Fox wasn't really interested. Then the attention turned to ESPN, and ESPN's interest started to waver. And then Amazon 
had this idea and their interest started to waver. Then we hear CBS and Turner say, nah, thanks, we're not involved at all. The networks, of course, all going through financial problems as we enter this recession that we're in as a country right now. And the Big 12, they acted quickly. They got their TV deal done. They got on the major networks. They got the checks. Pac-12 doesn't have their TV deal done. They're looking at primarily being on streaming, which let's just be honest with you guys. You know, I've done I've done streaming. I've broadcasted games on ESPN Plus before. And, you know, that's that, that, that's a cool deal. You know, I, I have no, don't get me wrong, I have no personal issues or vendettas against streaming. But just at the end of the day, you know, your average Joe Schmo, you know, uh, is not going to be able to just stumble upon some game on Apple TV Plus or Amazon Prime or anything like that. I mean, they're flipping through the channels. They're going through. ESPN and FS1 and Fox and ABC and CBS and NBC and all that, you had to go out of your way to go find that Amazon or that Apple game. Not to mention how difficult it is to find those games at the bar and try to do that whole ordeal. And I know that they have the direct TV business package and stuff like that, but then trying to tell your bartender, ah, go to the 8,000 channel or whatever, go find that Pac-12 game. And then we hear reports, oh, Pac-12 might even have to pay production costs and produce it in-house for an Apple deal. I mean, it's just looking very, very bad, okay? And, you know, as each day goes by, it looks really, really tough. Your saving grace might be SMU in San Diego State. That kind of tells me all I need to know. Nowhere ever on the radar did the Big 12 even think about those two schools and consider bringing in San Diego State and SMU because they would have brought literally nothing to the table essentially for the Big 12. You got the four schools you wanted, and you are glad you got those four schools. And now we just wait and see. We sit back, and something's got to give here. I mean, Think about this. If the reports are out there that are true, that the Pac-12 is about to settle for a TV deal that's primarily with Apple TV Plus for $18 million a year, that's it. Why the hell, why on earth would anyone stay in that league? Less money than everyone else by a mile and less visibility than everybody else by a mile. I mean, why? Why would you do that? The Pac-12 is in deep trouble, and, I mean, it's the, the bomb's about to go off here. Something is about to explode. Something's about to give here, because you can't just sit there and be happy with the way that it is. And I know we've heard talks about mergers and, and something like that, you know, in the past. But here's the deal. If I were advising Brett Yormark and the Big 12, you know, presidents and 80s and everything here, here, here's what I would say. I'd say, look, you don't have to deal with Texas anymore. You don't have to deal with Oklahoma anymore. This is your league. This is your vision to paint it as you see fit. Who do you want that wants to buy in and be a part of this national conference that is invested in this thing for the long term and brings value to the table. 
I mean, do you really want Oregon State or Washington State? Probably not. But Oregon and Washington, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, those schools bring something to the table. They bring value. They are something unique here. And that's what you're looking for is what are you going to do for me? What have you done for me lately? Okay. And that's what those schools, I think, are looking at. It's only a matter of time at this point. Something's got to give. Eventually, those teams are going to say, we're ready. Who, who's going to jump first? Who is going to be the ones to say, this is it. We've had enough. Because I'll be honest, I think one of the reasons why that Oklahoma and Texas left the Big 12 was they got tired of the incompetency of Bob Bowlesby and the previous commissioners before him. I think that was one of the major factors, actually, in why they left. And if you're the Pac-12, George Kleogoff has done a terrible job. Your TV contract that you're about to get looks terrible for a lot less money. You are about to get stuck to streaming. And you've already had a couple members leave. There's been nothing positive, no positive momentum that's gone the Pac-12's direction in the last couple of months. I mean, why would you stay around for that? I understand that these schools want that Big Ten money or the SEC money. I totally get that. I understand. But you know what? Everyone wants to date the 10. Everybody would love to sleep with Margot Robbie. I mean, let's be honest here. But you know what? Sometimes you got to settle for Hannah Kendrick. And Hannah Kendrick's not bad by any means. She's not Margot Robbie. But, I mean, Hannah Kendrick's pretty cute too. And I think that's what you look at with the Big 12. Okay, it might not be, you know, supermodel status. But it's pretty cute. It's better than uh, what you got in this this Pac-12 situation here. I think the bubble is about to burst here. Uh, for the Pac-12 and that we're going to see some moves here soon. Um, And if you're the Big 12 of that group, I think you're open to anybody but Oregon State and Washington State. And then Cal and Stanford are probably too much of, you know, elitists, probably don't want to be in the culture fit that is the Big 12. Um, I think you'd take them if they want to join but you're not expecting them to join. Uh, But the other six, come on through. Glad to have you with us. We'll take it. Uh, More on this when uh, Tim Fitzgerald joins us coming up in just a few moments uh, on the Pac-12, Big 12 dynamic. And uh, that situation, we'll get his complete thoughts when uh, he stops by in just a little while for right now. So uh, don't miss out on that. Meanwhile, let's get to the uh, Big 12 basketball frontier. And the uh, Big 12 standings at this point in time, heading into this weekend, KU and Texas, both at 11 and four, Kansas at 23 and five, Texas at 22 and six. And we told it for the last few weeks, it looked like a three, four, maybe even five team race for the Big 12 title. And within the last week or so, Kansas and Texas 
have really separated themselves among the rest of the pack at this point. Kansas in particular winning seven out of their last eight games. The Hawks have got this figured out. I like the way they played on, on Monday night against TCU, a dominant win against Baylor on the road as well. Uh, Bill Self, this is one of the best coaching jobs he's ever had. Uh, I've been very impressed with what Bill Self has done with this Kansas team. They were left for dead a month ago. They had a lot of issues, a lot of problems, and they've worked through those things, in particular the development of Dewan Harris, in addition to the way that we've seen uh, Grady Dick and Jalen Wilson play well. Jalen Wilson's played at an All-American level. Grady Dick looks like a top-10 pick. Uh, Kansas is legit. And I think if the NCAA tournament started today, Kansas would probably be the number one overall seed with 14 quad one wins. Kansas is really, really good. Um, and they've improved throughout the year, and that goes back to their coach, Bill Self, for the job that he's done. Meanwhile, in Texas, I mean, you look at this Texas team and what they've done this year to be in this circumstance of, uh, you know, losing their head coach, Chris Beard, and still not, not only being in this position of being atop the Big 12 Conference, uh, but to keep morale going, to keep things positive for this team to stay on the same page. Rodney Terry has done an incredible job. Uh, now, I don't think that his future is going to be decided until March. If if he gets an early round exit, then there's probably a decent chance that Rodney Terry is not the full-time coach of the, of the uh, Texas Longhorns next year. Um, but Rodney Terry at this point has done everything that should be asked of him and then some. And, you know, you, you can't talk about Texas basketball without Marcus Carr. And Marcus Carr, the way that he's jumped up, you know, averaging 17 points a game with the way that he's played this season. I mean, you think about that Iowa State game the other night. That was an off game for him at 13 points. There's some guys, they take a 13-point game to be their good night. That's how good Marcus Carr has become and the way that he's emerged from this Texas team. I think it's Kansas and Texas or your one-two, and then you figure everything else from out from there. Now, the other thing that's changed in the Big 12 that I find fascinating, besides Kansas and Texas kind of separating themselves, K-State, Baylor, TCU, and Iowa State are still very, very, very good teams. Um, but I think Oklahoma State's going to be in the tournaments. But now Texas Tech and West Virginia – are both on the edge as far as the tournament goes. It seemed like a foregone conclusion, um, you know, a, a few weeks ago that West Virginia was in the driver's seat that they looked like that they were going to be in the tournament, uh, probably as like a 10 or 9 seed or something like that. And the Big 12, I, I even, I think, said it on this show that eight teams were going to make the tournament and that we already knew who those eight teams were. Well, Texas Tech started to figure things out. And Mark Adams, I think a lot of people were starting to doubt him, wondering if he was the right fit for Texas Tech, if he was the right coach to lead that team going forward. But, I mean, you got to give credit for what he's done with that Texas Tech team. We know about O'Banner, uh, of how good of a player he is. 
um, and the way that he's played so far this year, you know, he's, he's done a really good job, but what about Debbie, Davion Harmon, the, uh, former guard from Oklahoma went on to Oregon and now he's started to emerge again and, and been a good player for Kevin O'Banner here. I mean, folks, I, I think if the tournament started today, there'd be nine Big 12 teams in the tournament. I think West Virginia and Texas Tech would both make it. Now, is there enough wins down the stretch for both of them to make the tournament? Probably not. I think you're probably still going to get eight. But all of a sudden, it looks like Tech and West Virginia are going to go toe-to-toe right down to the very end, potentially, to see who makes the tournament and who doesn't. Uh, another battle within the conference. Um, to see, you know, who makes the tournament between these two. It's going to be very, very interesting uh, to see what happens there. If if you made me predict of what how this is all going to shake out, I think Kansas finds a way to win the Big 12 outright, which they didn't even do last year as national champions. They shared the title with Baylor. I think Kansas, and I didn't even say this a couple weeks ago, I thought there would be multiple teams dying for the league league. But Kansas winning seven out of their last eight by figuring it out here the last couple of weeks. I think they're in the driver's seat. I think Kansas is going to win the league. And I think eight teams are going to make the tournament. I lean towards West Virginia over Texas Tech. But I'm not ruling out the Red Raiders either. We are in for a treat here over these next uh, several weeks, you know, couple of weeks here to see how this ultimately plays out. Saturday slate of games. Kansas plays West Virginia at home. They should be fine. Iowa State plays Oklahoma at home. They should be fine. TCU and Texas Tech on Saturday is going to be a toss-up game. Texas and Baylor in Waco, that's going to be a great game. That's a toss-up game. Rivalry game, Texas's last visit to Waco. And then you got K-State in Stillwater taking on Oklahoma State. That game could go either way. And you follow that up, big Monday, with Baylor, Oklahoma State, Sneaky good game. West Virginia, Iowa State, also on Big Monday. Very good game. Tech against Kansas and Lawrence. Kansas should be okay. And then you get Oklahoma at K-State. K-State's at home. They should be fine. Texas and TCU, uh, which should be a barn burner there uh, at TCU. Going to be a very interesting week of Big 12 basketball ahead. Uh, Kansas has a little bit better schedule than Texas does. So that's something important to keep in mind here uh, throughout this final stretch. Uh, more on Big 12 hoops, also realignment talk as uh, Tim Fitzgerald joins us coming up in just a moment. Also, Coach Bogan, stop by for the football fix. Don't want to miss out on that. Still got Tom Fullery to come as well. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Jones Report. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week is a great friend of the show. It is Tim Fitzgerald, uh, who's back. It's been a while since we've had him uh, last on, but pleased to have him join us this week, the publisher of uh, GoPowerCat.com, covering the Kansas State Wildcats, and uh, he's here with us now. Uh, Fitz, uh, always a pleasure to uh, chat with you, my friend. I know it's been a minute, but uh, thanks for joining us. How we doing, man? Good. I saw a picture of you, I think, on Instagram, and you look like the – the Tyler Nader. It was awesome. <laughs> Loved it. Oh, yes. I think I know the photo you're referring to. Uh, I just got back from uh, Daytona Beach, and uh, I think the the clouds was uh, was helping uh, facilitate the said photo. Well, before we get into this, I want to say 
how proud I am of what you've accomplished, even though I have nothing to do with it. Just watching it has been fantastic. Uh, and um, how jealous I am that you're in Daytona because I'm a Florida boy by birth and I don't get back enough and I love it down there. Well, I appreciate that, Tim. Uh, I, I loved it. Had a great time being at the uh, Daytona 500 and everything. Uh, now I've turned that into about a yearly activity, getting down there for that race each year. And so it's uh, certainly was a great time, but uh, glad to be back here in uh, Texas. Fitz, uh, uh, tell me this. Uh, I know that you have been all over this uh, the stuff going on with conference realignment from the Big 12 standpoint and how – the Pac-12 is involved in everything. And, you know, I find it interesting because, you know, you're, you're a K-State guy. You've been covering the Cats for a long time. I'm a Kansas guy. But it feels like, you know, this what's left of the Big 12 and then the new members, we're all kind of in the same boat here, all in this together of some sorts of just, uh, you know, along for the ride. Nobody wanted else wanted these schools. And yep. uh, here they are still standing and seems like on the cups of uh, potentially – expansion here and making it through who, who would have thought after everything the big 12s went through that uh they they'd be at this point and look at having some positive momentum it seems it's crazy i mean this conference should have been dead about three times and here right. we are um and i really like this conference i like what i'm referring to as the new 12 because there's there's an outsider sense to almost every school in this conference. And, and it comes back in part because of realignment um, and, you know, everyone abandoning the conference and moving on to other places that were supposedly better and haven't necessarily turned out to be that. But also the schools are really kind of interesting of rural or, you know, land grant schools. And also um, now we're what would be traditionally called commuter schools or more, metro type schools that have kind of both have evolved their missions to be wider reach a wider base of people so there's some similarities even in our differences with this conference i really enjoy this conference and i feel a sense of unity in this conference that honestly ty the the, the big 12 never had because texas yeah. wouldn't wouldn't let you forget that they were the boss you know they often did it you know people go back to the first round why didn't they add louis louisville and cincinnati Texas didn't want them because they didn't want to lose control, voting control of the conference. They had the Texas votes and they had the Oklahoma votes and they could control the conference. They didn't want to bring in outsiders that could possibly say no to them. And, and it's, it's almost like we're leaving an abusive relationship and moving into something new. And it's kind of exciting. And we'll see what the next phase of that is. Yeah. Um, just the, the new members that are coming in, let's start there and kind of go from that progression of these four, um, you know, I, I know Bob Bowlesby made a lot of mistakes, uh, you know, at, at points in his tenure and and being blindsided by Oklahoma and Texas uh, making their move to the SEC. But looking back of those four, I, I'm so glad, uh, Tim, that the Big 12 was aggressive as they were to add those four teams, uh, because right now you look at that Pac-12 situation. I think they would love to have any of those four. The Big 12 just yeah. took and secured their future, and then for your mark to come and get the TV deal. Um, the decisions that have been made, really, since Oklahoma and Texas left have uh, been amazing to see the, the steps that this league has taken in the right direction here. 
Well, I almost feel like Bob Bowlesby was freed by Texas's decision. I mean, yeah. let's be honest. The commissioners uh, before Brett Yormark, including Bowlesby, were under their their thumb. They the commissioner was really not able to do what they wanted to do. And once they said, hey, we're leaving, he kind of said, well, the hell with you. We're going to go do this. And they did good research. They found the best schools for the Big 12. Um, I, some of the additions are really exciting. The only one I hesitated on is Houston. And I'll be darned, Tyler, now that we're into this whole Pac-12 phase of this, um, I've, I've come to understand exactly what they were doing. I, I personally would prefer like maybe a Boise that got another Western school to go with BYU, but they were blocking, you know, it, it, Houston and Boise and some other schools might've been similar, but Houston is a huge city with a huge recruiting base and university of Houston has a huge endowment. And if you look at it from the current perspective, if they had had, had Boise, what would Houston mean to the PAC 12? if they could pick them up now because the big toe passed on them, it would be substantial and they would have invited in a new conference into a major Metro area that let's be honest, SMU doesn't do SMU. I've been joking that I'm not sure they, they don't bring you Dallas and Fort Worth. I don't even think they bring you university park, a neighborhood by them. Uh, I mean, it just doesn't bring much to the table, but like TCU or like Utah in the PAC 12, I see all of these schools having an opportunity over the next three, five, ten years to <clears throat> elevate their standing in college athletics in a way that they simply couldn't do from the non-Power 5 level. And I, and I think the most frightening from a competitive standpoint has to be UCF. It's just a giant institution that is just finding its way. It's, it's a young institution. I, I read a stat or heard a stat that 99% of its alumni base are alive. I mean, that's that's incredible um, because it's such a young institution. It's a huge school with a lot of money in a cool area. Yeah, they're, they're going to be a problem on the field eventually. Yeah, they are. Uh, they had incredible success in a uh, short amount of time. And, you know, the, the TV deal we know about that the Big 12 got beating the Pac-12 to the punch. And, I mean, n- now we just play the waiting game, right? I mean <laughs> – what, what, what do you think is is going to be the end game here? seems like by the day, the news gets worse and worse for the Pac-12 and gets better for the Big 12. What do you think uh, is the end I result? I, I agree with you. I Unless their commissioner has something up his sleeve, none of us expect. I, I don't see how this works out for the Pac-12. Again, the Big 12 under Brett Yormark acted definitively, said we were – going to move up our contract negotiation and we're going to do it now and people wondered about that at the time because you know me too it's like why don't you open this up wait to open it up to other entities but he wanted to get this done i almost sensed i almost sensed that he knew that trouble was on the way for some of these media outlets and that's what we're seeing now espn has pulled in its horns because disney's short on cash CBS and Turner and Fox and all these other entities have bailed out of them. Um, Amazon was a big player, and no, they're not. They they don't want that much. Now we're hearing Apple. All I have to say is, even if you match the money, which they won't, I don't see how they match what the Big 12 got based on the numbers we're hearing. But even if they do, being in a predominantly or entire streaming environment with your television package is a disadvantage. Now that 
might be different five, 10 years down the road, but you're not going to last five, 10 years if you're in a mostly streaming environment where someone just flipping the channels can will ever see your sports. They'll never see them because you're on a platform like Apple or Amazon. So I, I don't think the money's going to work. And I think eventually someone will flinch. Like the Pac-12 wants to stay together. And I, I think that's admirable. I mean, that's what helped the Big 12. But they also, the Big 12 acted with, you know, great force and expanding and then getting the new contract. And the, the Pac-12 hasn't done that. They're not aligned the way the Big 12 was. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to blow them up. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right about that. And so with, with that being said, who is uh, – who's the teams that you see making a potential move? If, if the big 12 can have any one of those 10 pac 12 teams, uh, who, who do they take and, and, and how many you think? Well, I think they'll only do four. I mean, I think that's where they're at. And it sounds like for the most part, uh, the escalators in the contract require power five level programs. So that, that narrows it down to the pac 12. Um, and, I think the first two to flinch to join to, you know, ask for membership will be Arizona and Arizona state. And, and those are probably uh, the best choices for the conference in terms of cultural fit um, kind of an alignment, you know, even with geography of what the big 12 is about after that, then it becomes an interesting, you know, course for the conference. Look, so we, we know Stanford and Cal are non-starters. They don't want anything to do with us here in flyover country. They look down on us and, and that's fine. They're leading academic institutions, and they got to do what's best for them. Um, I just wish they wouldn't insult the, you know, another conference in the process. Right. Oregon State and Washington State, I have great sympathy for because I feel like it's Kansas State and Iowa State. And um, if this had gone a different direction, it'd be Kansas State and Iowa State, probably in what they are. They're just they're the smaller programs. Um, that honestly they fit actually the culture of the big 12, but they just don't bring enough to the table in terms of viewership. And that gets us down to Oregon and Washington, which openly want to be in the big 10 and then Utah and Colorado, which at different times have expressed an interest of not being associated with the lowly big 12. So it's a very intriguing situation in which he finds I'm hearing there's some movement on Oregon and Washington, maybe to come into the big 12. There's talk about they they would like to be able to leave after five to seven years to, you know, possibly explore the Big Ten, whatever that contract ends up being for the Big 12 uh, in terms of length. And um, I don't see Yormark giving them anything um, that everyone else doesn't have to abide by. I think they'll have to stay through the length of the contract. But um, I, I, I'm feeling more realistic about Oregon and Washington, at least in the short term. Like, I don't want more schools leaving. That's my hesitancy there. Right. I want schools that are bought into the Big 12. Um, but I also like what Brett Yormark's doing as commissioner. <clears throat> He's kind of just biding time for the conference. He's almost like that, that guy who gets his butt whooped and gets in the gym and starts changing the who he is. And he knows he's got a time period here where he can redefine this conference. And without Oklahoma and Texas, some great opportunities to be on national TV. And we've seen it in the last two years. Great ratings for K-State and TCU and other programs. You know, we, we've now the last three Big 12 championships. We've had five different um, new 12 teams, schools, be in that game along with one appearance for Oklahoma. So he's got an opportunity to prove the worth of the conference, maybe do that basketball expansion that he's sniffing around, which I'm intrigued by. Um 
and and go around and you know the next round of media rights say look we're not what you thought we were we need more money and and probably bring in more money i i like the way the way he's handling this quite a bit i do too and uh those uh those basketball expansion teams uh seems like that has been a point of contention around big 12 fans it seems like i, I don't know what you've heard fits but uh, everyone likes the idea of bringing in West Coast members football-wise, but these basketball-only members seem to be a, a dividing point just because of yeah. how much can you re- they really bring to the table. Right. You know, it's when Brett Yormark was hired, coming out of where he is, non-college sports, he's got an auto racing background, an NBA background. Um, I knew he would come to the table without – kind of the built-in biases we have as people that have followed college athletics at the level we have. And he would see things from a different perspective. My definition of that is we see a school like UNLV, first of all, as um, a school that, you know, is kind of non-traditional in a non-traditional place, isn't known for great academics or overwhelming athletics, <clears throat> has never been a big presence or dominated in anything other than the basketball era. But I see Brett Yormark is looking at Las Vegas as a stake in a significant city, only behind New York in terms of maybe Orlando, which is a big 12 town, of uh, tourism. And um, and also as we get into sports betting, <laughs> I think it's an important place to be. While he's shown no interest in that, he's he's done another thing here. He's come to realize how valuable the big 12 is as a basketball commodity and this is just my theory. I did a one of our videos. We do these daily videos called Daily Deliveries. Go check them out at YouTube, our Go Powercat channel there at YouTube. And I think he's looking at, a after he settles this football expansion, adding four basketball other sports schools and eventually maybe even break the contract, football and basketball and everything else. <clears throat> Um, break it in half because he sees basketball as something the Big 12 can leverage in a way that literally no other conference can. Uh, and with the quality of what we're seeing this year, and you bring in a Gonzaga, a Villanova, you know, maybe uh, a St. John's, you know, a little less successful recently, but New York market, man, he loves that. Uh, so you start bringing in schools like that. Uh, you up the value of basketball to the point where an entity, particularly someone who's got a streaming platform that they would also like to populate with content, it gets valuable. Also, it gives you regional scheduling in like tennis and soccer. And so you're, you're going to be a coast-to-coast conference, but then you can kind of focus within your region to play those, non, those Olympic sports, the non-revenue sports that gets expensive to fly all over the country and you stick it within your region. I like it. I'm intrigued by it. I want to know more about it. But that won't come until after this phase of football expansion in which he is committed to get the Big 12 into the fourth window, the time period that it can't populate right now, which is Pac-12 after dark. That's the that's the addition that he can bring to the conference that elevates the amount of money they can get or at least solidifies things. They will be able to populate Every window a media entity wants filled with college football. And that's a powerful thing for a conference. It is. Um, On the competition standpoint, you know, Oklahoma traditionally dominated the football side in, in, you know, their history in the Big 12 Conference. 
And then basketball, of course, was Kansas, and we've had the recent emergence of Baylor the last couple of years. But going forward in this new league, uh, I mean, yes, you still have Kansas and Baylor on the basketball front, but football-wise, Fitz, I-, I could make the case for, gosh, five or six schools that will all contend for the Big 12 title every year. I mean, to me, that that's a sign of strength, isn't it, to see that of uh, just how many different teams are going to be able to compete in this new league going forward, I think. Yeah, I, I agree. I wonder who's going to rise up. You know, eventually someone kind of ascends into – the dominant role, uh, you know, I going into last season, I would have thought maybe it's Oklahoma state position to do that. They got a veteran coach. They've got pretty good financing. They got great facilities. And then they kind of fell down this season as did Baylor. Now we see TCU and K state stepping up. Is it them? Will it be one of the newcomers? I mean, BYU um, has been a national player in the past and, and certainly they have an advantage out there being the only Western team as of now, UCF has been really quality and I love their coach. So, uh, Cincinnati was just in the playoff. So it's going to be fun watching this sort out. Next year is going to be odd with Oklahoma and Texas uh, still living in the house, even though they're divorced. And and you got the new people coming into the house uh, and they're hanging around. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird. Uh, but at least it's only going to last one year. But someone will ascend and start to dominate the conference and everyone else will have to catch up. You, you need that bell cow for the rest of everyone to follow. That's what Kansas has been in basketball. Kansas has dragged up the rest of the Big 12, as it's bluntly put. They're so good to not get humiliated by Kansas, you had to get better and better and better. And Baylor's done a marvelous job of it. Now we're seeing it all across the conference. Well, and uh, with this new league, too, um, KUK State Sunflower Showdown is probably the best rivalry of this league now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's gone from nothing and as you know, also uh, you know, K State's got this budding rivalry with Iowa State, Farmageddon. That yeah, um, there's a little heat there. It doesn't have the historic significance of the Missouri Kansas thing, but it kind of reminds me of that. You know, a secondary rivalry for a, a school. Um, <clears throat> but what I've come to learn in this short process of dealing with the Pac-12, if somehow Utah comes into the Big 12, there will be nothing like Utah BYU because they literally hate each other. Um, and Utah is saying they don't want to come to the conference to be with a bunch of simpletons like the Big 12, at least a lot of their fans are, but really what it's about, they hate BYU that they, so much that they don't want to get into life raft with BYU. They'd rather drown, uh, and I'm, I'm finding great entertainment from that. But, yeah, uh, seeing some of these new rivalries bubble up and become fun like Farmer Geddon has is going to be great. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Fitz, let's, we get a little bit of time left, so I want to talk uh... – some hopes with you now. Uh, <clears throat> K-State, uh, the team you cover, sitting at 21-7, and 9-6 and six in a league play, 14th in the uh, in the country right now. What, what a year it's been for the uh, the Cats on the uh, hoops front here. Uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, um, I think we all realized Jerome Tang was interesting, unique, um, motivating from the moment he held his press conference. Um, but – as that sorted out and they had everyone leave, including Nigel Pack, a great guard, great shooter. And they were left with two players who had been transfers the year before. Um, and they had to refill the roster with 11 new guys. We're like, okay, you know, it's, it's going to be a process here. They're picked for last in the big 12. And here we are. They're currently third in the big 12. The committee has them on the three line of the NCAA tournament. It's incredible what's going on right now with, 
Kansas State basketball and the way Jerome Tang has lit a fire into the K-State community. I mean, if you're a K-Stater, the, the two hires Gene Taylor's made of Tang and Chris Kleiman uh, seem like absolute home runs, and people are really excited about it. And, and how about Keontae Johnson, uh, the year that he's had coming over to K-State and the way that he's been able to merge here? Who, who would have thought that he was going to end up uh, in Manhattan, Kansas and, yeah. and play at this level? It's crazy. I mean, he's the last piece and really the most important piece in terms of transfers uh, because he is an elite player. He is a future NBA guy. I don't know if he'll be drafted or not. He hasn't played up to what he's able to do in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think he was just worn down. He hasn't played in two years. I mean, the season gets long. And then against Baylor on Tuesday night, he throws in 25 points and just looks fantastic and looks like his old self. So uh, he's been really important. And, and the improvement in Marquise Noel's game is just uh, impossible to explain. I mean, it's he's, he's scoring. I mean, I think he's averaging 17 points and seven assists a game. And, and those that's that's good by any standard. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, when you look at the Big 12 standings with KU and Texas on top, and then there's K-State and Baylor behind them at nine and six, Iowa State eight and seven. Who do you think's that that number three team? Is it is it K State? Is it Baylor? Or is it Iowa State? Yeah, it, you know we just went through this exercise on our own podcast. You know, K State will, in all likelihood, unless they really screw something up here, be on that third or fourth line in the Big Twelve tournament. Um, and I, I probably will lean into four more than three. They're at, they're at the three seed. I mean, Tyler, that's how good this conference is. K State might be a four seed in the Big Twelve conference tournament but a three seed in the NCAA tournament because of the four regionals. And it's just right. incredible what this conference is about. But um, I personally would prefer the four seed uh, because it's the morning game. It's the early game. And then I can have my nights free, Tyler. You know that's important <laughs> yes. to me. Um, and the three seed actually plays the late bracket. Nobody wants me tired and cranky at T-Mobile Center. Nobody wants to see that. People forget how good that morning game actually is. Uh, to enjoy yourself uh, in a power and light district on uh, on Thursday. Four or five. Night. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. It could be K State Iowa State right out of the, <laughs> and they're gonna get after each other. It'll be great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, looking at the uh, the rest of the league, uh, KU and Texas on top, both at eleven yeah. and four. Um, you think that's gonna come down to the uh, the very last game of the regular season? It better. It better. I mean, that's what this conference deserves. Um, I'm, I'm really excited to see that game. Um, but, you know, KU's just in the driver's seat right now because they've got a couple manageable games at home. And meanwhile, Texas has still got some challenges out there. They've got some other tough games before we get to that final game. And if somehow both those teams go one and two, uh, we were playing with scenarios. Um, uh, they won't. Kansas is known to home those teams, but it's kind of interesting. We could end up with Baylor, K-State, Texas, and KU tied all for first place, which would kind of sum up the chaos of this conference. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. And you look at just record-wise, you got nine teams with 16 wins right now. How, how realistically, how many teams you think can make the dance uh, from the league at this point? I kind of hope that the committee looks at the Big 12. You know, I think we can probably recognize that Oklahoma's dropped off. They're probably the team right. that isn't in the conversation. I kind of hope the committee sends both West Virginia and Texas Tech to Dayton for opposite playing games in that 
in that first round or whatever they call it now to get into the bracket of 64. Prove it. Get in there uh, as the eighth and ninth teams from the Big 12. Uh, it's it's incredible. And you, you stop and think about the team we left out a couple weeks ago kicked the living crap out of Alabama. That's yeah. the team that's not good enough in the Big 12. It's, a, it's, it's just brutal night in and night out. I mean – Oklahoma, that that team, um, I, I look at it this way, Fitz. I mean, you put them in any other power conferences, they'd probably be good enough to make the tournament. You got a Final Four coach there. I mean, right. they've got talent. They've got the guys that have played at that level. I mean, it's just it's 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 unbelievable. And that's Kansas State's final home game. And you think, oh, you're playing the last place team on senior night. How fortunate! Not in this conference. They're capable of coming in. They almost won an Allen Fieldhouse. That yeah. kind of sums up the chaos of this conference. Yeah, it does indeed. Uh, Jerome Tang, just the job that he's done there. Have you seen anything like this? I've never seen anything like him. I, I've been doing this a long time. I've never dealt with a coach like him. Um, I, he, he's filled with positivity and yet puts these demands on everyone around him to be better. He's done that with his team, naturally, with his coaches, naturally, with all of his program. He's done it with the student body and how they behave at games, how they present themselves and present the university to others. And in weird ways, he does it with the media. He does it with everyone to kind of strive for their their best form of themselves in a way that's joyful and kind and charming um, with great energy. I've never been around a coach like him. Um, and it's it's fun. It's inspiring for everything I'm going through with health issues to have a man that's just positive around seems like literally a godsend to me. And um, but I think what happened after the Baylor game kind of sums up Jerome Tang's so well. So he does the handshaking line. He's now made a tradition of going to the student section to do the Wabash Cannonball, which is kind of fun uh, to watch this guy who's, by the way, Really good dancer. I mean, he, he knows his way. But he goes over, runs across the court, and jumps up on the tables they have there for some of the big donors. <clears throat> the tables almost slip. We thought we were going to see our the coach go over head first. Uh, he jumps down, jumps over the stairs, or over the chairs, uh, races up the stairs, does the wall bash, finishes the wall bash, comes down the stairs, jumps back on the tables, off the tables, and runs over the Baylor prayer circle so he doesn't miss out on that. And all that just kind of sums up his energy and his devout Christianity and everything about him. The joy with which he lives is amazing. What a great fit for Kansas State, too. Uh, it is. It is. And not just for Kansas State, but Jerome Tang keeps talking about, like, I don't mean this as any way condescending to Baylor because he and Scott Drew did incredible things there. Uh, but it's just not the level of fan engagement you see at Kansas or even Kansas State or Iowa State. It's a different basketball culture. They're happy with 9,000. It's not a rowdy environment. They don't have a big student section. He's got all that at K-State. And it was a big reason why I came to K-State, because he wants that more traditional campus with a big student body. And he has this love affair going on with the K-State student body that's really cool to watch. It's uh, it's unique. It's awesome for sure. Yeah. Uh, Fitz, uh, you, you mentioned your health journey, and, and I, I, I've been following uh, all your stuff there and and certainly, you know, we've been thinking of it for a long time. Uh, what's what's the latest with, with your situation, and where can people just keep up with uh, what what you're going through, man? Well, um, 
you know, as we talk about basketball, it was 2018. I was, it was the K-State run to the Elite Eight when they uh, beat Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Um, before those games started, I got a call uh, from an insurance agent rejecting me for a life insurance policy because my PSA score was too high, and I had no idea what that was. I was 53 at the time. I Googled PSA. Uh, it turned out to be advanced prostate cancer. Um, that luckily, by taking a PSA test that I hadn't taken, um, they caught it. And um, I'd be in dire straits or not here if they hadn't caught it. So uh, through the all the biopsies and all that stuff, uh, surgery was, you know, we're talking about mid-March when I find out I need to get to the doctor. I'm in surgery July 3rd <clears throat> through all the other stuff they had to do. Uh, and it turned out to be even worse than what they thought. It was stage four. Uh, it had spread into my bladder. Um, and I went through radiation. I've done all kinds of, uh, you know, hormone treatments and oral chemo. Uh, and I went into remission. You know, they did a great job with my radiation. I went into remission. And unfortunately, I was only in remission for about 13 months. And in January, uh, my PSA score showed back up. I don't have a prostate anymore, so I shouldn't have a PSA score because that measures your your prostate levels. And um, that means it had spread. And unfortunately, it spread into my lymphatic system. So now I've advanced to stage four metastatic uh, cancer. And I'll start radiation as soon as basketball is over. Um, luckily, we have a nice little window here to get this done. Uh, and uh, unfortunately uh, for me, Jerome Tang has made, uh, made it important to clear out all the basketball schedule uh, because Lord knows how far he might take this team in the tournament. You just never know. So uh, two days after the final four, as of now, I'll start radiation uh, on a daily basis for about six or seven weeks. Mm. Well, uh, Fitz, we're certainly praying for you. Thank you for of you, man. Uh, you're inspiring and certainly uh, wish you nothing but the best. And uh, make sure to follow all of uh, Fitz's stuff on Twitter, Life, Life of Fitz. Also check out at gopowercat.com for uh the best Kansas State coverage, uh, even if you're not a K-State fan, just a Big 12 fan, certainly encourage you to check it all out. Uh, Sam, thanks for the time, man, as always, and uh, we'll talk in down the line. Thanks for joining us, man. That's awesome. Hey, man, if you're 45 or older, go get your PSA scored. It's a simple blood test. Might save your life. Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix. It's presented by O'Connor Advisor Group. You can find O'Connor Advisor Group online. OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, and you can also check out the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every week, wherever you're listening to podcasts. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, uh, I took your suggestion and uh, enjoyed a great meal at Walk-Ons for the first time, and I might have found now my favorite sports bar and grill after that suggestion uh, there when I was down in Orlando. So thank you for that. As a chain, Walk-On's is really good. Yeah. I mean, it's not like your great, great local place, but as a chain, it's fantastic. Food's good. Beer's cold. Yeah. Did you get to go to one where they have the beer thing at your table? No. Oh, okay. The one in Baton Rouge, the one, one of the ones in New Orleans, you can actually, you go up and you scan your credit card, and then you just get the beer tap right there at your table. Side like Ruins Pub. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. So out of Tom, get this. So Tom recommended or uh, Bo recommended to me to get the catfish achafalaya. Is that how it's pronounced? Achafalaya. 
a chafalaya. <laughs> White. <laughs> <laughs> With the blackened fish. And uh, that's what I got. And you're supposed to pay extra for shrimp. I didn't even ask for the shrimp because I didn't want to pay extra. They gave it to me anyway. It didn't charge me for it. So uh, it was a win-win. And I had the beignets as well. Yeah, the, the it's really good. It's like that, that blackened catfish on the bed of rice with the crawfish etouffee on top. It's like you're getting two meals. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, you, got the fried, you got fried shrimp added to it. I don't really add the shrimp to it, but it's... I didn't even yeah. ask for it. They just put it on there. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Oh, uh, but yeah, it was, it was a very good meal. Uh, thank you, Drew Brees, for a nice dinner uh, on a Monday night. What a way to celebrate a Mardi Gras, right? You know. Yeah. Oh man, I wish I could. Wish I can get down there. They don't have a wall. They don't have walk-ons here in Kansas City yet. Uh, Bo, uh, you, you've been throwing any beads here uh, this week? I have not been able to throw any beads this week. You know, just it, it's sad. To, you know, it's funny. I talked to my aunt and uncle just yesterday. And my aunt works for the school and her in a little town and they're out of school all week long. Like, yeah. like we have spring break. They get a week off from Mardi Gras. And the best part of Mardi Gras is, I mean, if you're like super young, if like you and Tom's age, the best part of Mardi Gras is to go down into New Orleans during the parades, drink and have a great time. But if you're from down there, the best thing is to go to all the parades in the cities because they each have one on a different day of the week and they're all awesome and everybody drinks and everyone's having a good time. And there's no, there are pretty much no open container laws in Louisiana. So it's a beautiful exactly. thing. It is a wonderful thing. You got to have the, if you go to the, the, the drive through daiquiri place, you got to have the lid on it and you can't put the straw in it while you're driving. Tyler's um, looking at me like a dead fish. He has no clue what I'm talking about. Jones, they do that shit in Texas too. Yeah, you yeah. No, no, no. They do that. In, they even do that in Kansas now. Oh, damn. Yeah, there's a place in I know there's a place in March you can do it now. Yeah, you can go get yeah. a daiquiri to go. But yeah, I, the daiquiri bars, the dried up daiquiri bars in, in Louisiana. The rule is if it's got a lid and no straw, you're straight. Yeah. A, a, a daiquiri, drinking a daiquiri while driving is not worth a DUI. That's true. I've I've had a lot better drink. Well, I love I love a good daiquiri, but um, you know, if I'm gonna get a DUI, it's gonna be for a good reason. It's it's not gonna be for one Taco Cabana daiquiri. We we don't advise getting DUIs on this program, uh, for the record. Uh, but yes, exactly. uh, well, uh, yeah, I Yeah. So, Bo, let's uh, talk uh, some NFL free agency stuff. The uh, franchise tag window has officially opened, and uh, teams have until March 7th to place the tag. And I, I have a list, Bo. I got about nine players. Uh, okay. We'll spend time on the more important ones. But uh, let's just go through these piece by piece of guys that sure. you think whether they should be tagged or not or if they will get tagged. Uh, starting with the obvious one, Lamar Jackson. That seems like a foregone conclusion, and I would think that he'll get the exclusive tag too, right? I would think so. I, I mean, if the Ravens don't, if they just let Lamar walk, that's just dumb. Uh, you've got to franchise him at this point and try to negotiate into a long-term deal there. Um, I just, I don't know what the Ravens are so far behind on this now. 
that they're in a bad spot, but they, they're going to have to tag him because there's no way he's going to accept a contract now between now and March 9th. Right. Yeah. That's too far seems, apart. That's the one that seems obvious. Um, the Giants, Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, uh, you can only give the tag to one of them. What do you think the Giants are going to do here? I saw this is a tricky one because with the Saquon piece, it's hard to try to tag a running back. Because, I mean, you look at it and go, okay, well, it's based upon the average of the top three at that position. Now, Barkley's definitely worth it because he's, I mean, he's worthy of a top three salary. The question becomes, what's the most efficient use of the cap, of the tag in this case? Is it Barkley or is it Jones? Now, you could look at it two ways on Daniel Jones. You could look at it and say, well, with Daniel Jones, we like the player, but we'd like to get him on a one-year deal and see if we can, if he's going to be good enough to give him an extension down the road. Or, but the problem with that is you've got to pay him a top three quarterback. I mean, he's going to get $45 million. He's not worth $45 million, but that's the price you have to pay to rent it. So with Jones, Daniel Jones, it's either the Giants are going to say, He's our guy moving forward and give him a real contract or it's a one-year rental on the franchise tag, and you got to make something happen with Saquon Barkley on a long-term deal. Right. And that's a little hard to make deal happen, too, just because it's hard to give running backs so much money. Right. It'll be interesting. I, I, that's, they've got the biggest dilemma, I think, because they got two guys who are worthy of the tag, it, I well, let me rephrase that. I think Barkley's worth the tag. I wouldn't on Jones for the money, but at least it gives you one more out if he's right. not your guy. So I, he is their guy now. Reports this week were that Jones wants $45 million. I mean, he's had one good year in a four year run here. Well, I wouldn't pay Daniel Jones any more than $35 million. If he wants more than that, I'd take your chances on a young quarterback or try to bring, go bring in somebody else. Yeah. I just saw, I got it here. The The franchise tag for a quarterback this coming season would be $32 million. So that would tell me that most likely the situation will be a franchise tag on Jones, work something out with Barkley, and then figure out where you are with Jones during the season this year. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not going to pay him $45 million now. Right. Not, uh, not on a deal that's going to have to be four or five years. A few more names here. Uh, Geno Smith, uh, he wants to be back in Seattle. The Seahawks want to keep him. I would think the Seahawks probably don't need the tag, that even if they don't get a deal done by the tag deadline, that – both sides are on the same page. They'll probably be able to take care of business and and uh, get a uh, you know two or three year extension there. Yeah, I mean with, with with Gino, it's kind of a double edged thing in there with Gino. So if you get him, are you going to uh, with Gino Smith? What's your plan? Is he your quarterback for the next two to three years, or is he just good enough to get us by? to get us to a new quarterback in the next couple of years we may draft is the way Seattle's got to look at it. Um, let me look at their franchise. Their capsule. You know their capsule better than I do. I know you cover them as well. 
Um, they got about $28 million in cap space. Yeah. So, I mean, Gino ends up moving up from what's he currently at on here? I can't even see him on here. So, about yeah, $7 I mean, million that's going to take up your cap. That's yeah. going to take up their cap room. Because we 32. So, then what do you have to give up in order to, to get the, the, to make that franchise tag? And then you got to think if you're Seattle, are you going to draft a quarterback at some point? Right. So I don't know. It, it's that's an interesting deal to think about. He certainly, Geno Smith certainly played well enough this year to earn another season. And the salary or the franchise tag is a way to rent the player. Yeah. Yeah. So that may be another situation where Geno gets it. Uh, let's go to Kansas City. Orlando Brown was franchise tagged last year. Um, he's indicated he wants to remain in Kansas City. I know that it's been an up-and-down tenure for him, but he's coming off arguably the best game of his career in that Super Bowl against Philadelphia there. What do you think happens with Orlando Brown? I, you know, I was wrong last year. I thought that last year the Chiefs were going to um, tag him and put him on a long-term deal. Uh, they haven't done that yet. They still haven't done that. I'm looking here. The Chiefs are actually a little over the cap right now. You know, there's still some work to move there. A salary cap or a, a franchise tag on Orlando Brown is currently $18.2 million. Again, you can afford it. I mean, you've got Mahomes locked up. You've got your biggest names locked up. So then it's a matter of how do you massage the rest of the cap? Yeah. Uh, but I would have thought a year ago they would have given him a longer deal. But now you're another year in. Maybe you'd be two years in. Is he a player that's old enough where you can go, I don't know. Right. You know, that's, he, he's going to be an interesting, an interesting one as well. It, there's a couple that are really interesting. There's a couple where I'm like, I don't know. Right. Um, worthy of it? Yes. Yes. He's worthy of being your left tackle on the on the uh, franchise tag. I don't think even if like talks break down, they can't get a long term deal. I think Orlando Brown's too good just to walk, let walk without anything. Like he would be worth tagging at least to trade if you had to. I think. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing is is that they come up the Chiefs and they get. Um, they get Orlando Brown into a deal. What does that mean for Frank Clark and Chris Jones on the other side of the line? Yeah. Because that's two areas in which the Chiefs can save a lot of money on the cap. Right. So they can get out of those contracts pretty easily with just a one-time dead cap. So yeah. it'll be interesting. I mean, that's Jeff also think about is like with the Chiefs saying, okay, well, how do we pay for this? And right. it isn't the cash you have to spend. It's the cap. How do you spend the cap? Right. Um, Josh Jacobs uh, with Las Vegas. Uh, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. He is uh, set to become a free agent here. The you know, Raiders, of course, have been linked to Aaron Rodgers or Jimmy G, potentially. Bo, here's my theory on the Josh Jacobs one. If the Raiders are going all in, then franchise tag Josh Jacobs. But if they are trying to rebuild this thing and – you know, kind of start over again in the post Derek Carr era, then I'd go ahead and let Josh Jacobs walk. To me, it depends on what direction you want to go. Yeah. The Raiders have a ton of salary cap room. 
Um, letting go of Derek Carr did that. They should have done that a year ago. We talked about that last year. Um, I do think they'll end up franchising Josh Jacobs, just as you said. It's a situation where he's a necessity that you can put on a good team. The, the numbers went about $10 million for a running back. So you could go ahead and make that deal. And from there, you go ahead and say, okay, are we going to get Aaron Rodgers? Are we going to get another quarterback? But it is going to come down to the quarterback. Who is that going to be? Um, and I think that's what the old Aaron Rodgers thing is. You know, we talked a lot, lot offseason last year about Aaron Rodgers this and Aaron Rodgers that. The quicker he makes some decisions, then it's going to be a little easier for teams to make decisions. And there's going to be two or three teams that go after Rodgers this time. Where, where does where does the Raiders pick at? The Raiders uh, pick in the middle of the first round. I think it's like 14 or yeah. something. If you let Josh Jacobs walk, if if he walks, do you spend your first pick on Bijan Robinson? That could be a possibility. I mean, that wouldn't be bad, especially if you bring in. Even if you bring in Aaron Rodgers, Bijan Robinson's great out of the backfield, and this is not a knock on Josh Jacobs. I think Jacobs is one of the better backs in the league, but. If you can, you know, you know, we 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 talk about running backs all the time, and they're, they're very replaceable. You'd like a good running back, and Josh Jacobs is one of them, and would make somebody very happy. Other they, than they, Vegas picks at seven. You could probably trade back, pick up another pick later, and get Josh Jacobs as well. I I, I seen the latest Bijan Robinson yeah. has him going to the Bills at twenty seven. That's just on the ESPN ticker. So you could trade back to 16, probably between 15 and 20, and get B. John Robinson. And yeah, because someone might want to trade it to seven if they could get uh, Will Levis sitting there at seven if he doesn't go in the top five. And then pocket that uh, a first-round pick for next year in the process, too. And there you go. B. John Robinson to Vegas, baby. Maybe so. Uh, Deron Payne, we know he's a talented player, um, but – it seems like that his days are probably over with, with the Washington commanders, Bo, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah. Do the commanders tag pain here? I don't think so. I, I think that um, Derek Payne's going to be, or Deron Payne's going to be, I look at the commanders and I just go, who are they right now? Like, what is their, what are they doing as a franchise? Yeah. Um, and they're, they're definitely in a rebuild. So why spend a bunch of money on, a, a franchise tag situation when that player's not going to be with you most likely after the season. I mean, if you had already made the deal for a long-term contract, or if you were already close, then you might consider it, but it doesn't look like they're even close. And right. if they're not even close, you might as well just let him walk, save the complication in the, in the salary cap room, and start working on trying to get something built for 2024. Now that you can roll extra salary cap money over to the next year, All right? So that might be a way the commanders will look at it as well. Um, a couple more for you here. Evan Ingram tied in for the Jags. Finally had a breakout season. Uh, he was one of Trevor Lawrence's uh, favorite targets uh, this past season. What about the Jags? Uh, you think uh, Evan Ingram's earned the tag? Evan Ingram is an interesting one too. The Jags are an interesting concept because 
They've had to overpay for everyone they've got right now. And how close are they? I mean, like, they made the playoffs this year. They got a little help at the end. And they were hot for the last few weeks. But it's like, okay, well, who are they? What are they? I Again, you got to look, look at the cap situation. And I'm like, let me pull the, the Jags, if I remember correctly, have cap space. Um, no, they don't. I'm sorry. They were one of those last year that had a bunch. They had to overspend on Kirk and a few others. So, yeah, I mean, if they do it, they're going to have to make some other cuts. But you also need to put as many weapons around Trevor Lawrence as you can. And Evan Ingram's a, a dude you can really use as a tight end. So I, I don't know. I think that's interesting. I I say, yeah, I would tag him. Let me look and see what the number is for a tight end. Uh, tight end is going to get $11.4 million. The Jags could probably make that work. Um, they've got a lot of people they can cut out of here. I'm looking at their salary cap now. There's a lot of cuts they can make. They've got a few guys that are kind of untouchable. So, yeah, I, it's a matter of how close do you think you are? Can you be competitive? And if so, I think you got to put weapons around Trevor Lawrence. One more for you. Uh, Jordan Poyer, the safety for the Bills. This is where timing is everything, right? The Bills are in their window to compete right now. And Jordan Poyer's 32 years old at this point, but still one of the best safeties in the league. What do they do about Jordan Poyer? They tag him? They're going to have to. They're going to have to tag him because he's 32. You can't work on a long-term deal here. And he's too important to the defense. That defensive back uh, team they've got, but they've got to keep those guys. They've got to keep that defense as whole as they can and hope to improve it. Um, Yeah, they're going to have to do it on Poyer. And I haven't even looked at their salary cap situation, but it's going to be pretty imperative that they do make something happen there. I know this hasn't been the priority of discussion, but I mean, I think we're far enough along. We can say this thing about like defensively that secondary took a significant step back without DeMar Hamlin. He and Poyer were a good duo in that, that safety unit. DeMar Hamlin was having a very good season because he stepped in for the injury for, um, damn it, I can't think of the player, uh, the other safety that's on their roster. I can pull it up now. But he stepped in with that, and he was having he was having a really, really good season. Yeah, he and Boyer um, were a good duo. Yeah, and he put them in there. They were playing well together. Then you lose Hamlin, and we don't know if he's playing right now or not. I suspect he will be back, but it's one of those things where it's like, okay, Micah Hyde was the one who got hurt that yes. he, he, he was replaced. So then you got to look at the Micah Hyde thing and you go, okay, well, is it, what do I want to do with that piece? Now it's like, you're going to need Micah Hyde. So if you need Micah Hyde, you're going to need Poyer. DeMar Hammond was actually a huge help because he was cheaper than the other two. So if DeMar Hamlin doesn't get hurt, you might see one of those two be gone, maybe Poyer. And with Micah Hyde returning, you just move Mar Hamlin over. But I think now you're going to look at it and see that they're going to have to make this Poyer deal, the franchise tag, and hope that DeMar Hamlin can come back and be ready for the season. Yeah. At some point. It's interesting for sure. A um, couple more NFL headlines. Uh, Titans uh, already making some big cuts. 
uh, to their team. They obviously have a new GM and everything. Um, are the Titans starting over here? What do you think of what's going on there in Nashville? The Titans were in salary cap hell. They still are. Um, they got some hard decisions to make, and they just made three of them, just trying to get uh, doing some cuts there. It'll be interesting. That's not a very good roster right now. No. Injuries have just killed that roster. And they and in the trade of A.J. Brown a year ago, they didn't get a whole lot coming back. They're not very competitive at quarterback. You know, Malik Willis is not the dude, not that we thought he would be, but he's not. And Ryan Tannehill doesn't give you much of an opportunity to win. So uh, the Titans are going to have to go into full rebuild, and you might as well go ahead and cut as many pieces as you can in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I could see that. Um, and, you know, I, I look at what's, what's so interesting is they have the right head coach there, Mike Vrabel, We've seen Bo uh, in the last few years of coaches not wanting to stick around for rebuilds. The Sean Paytons of the world, you know, Sean McVay's been linked to, you know, an early retirement or exit from the Rams. Obviously, he hasn't done it, but you know, it's been speculated. Uh, we, we, we've seen these things in the past. Um, I wonder if they don't start to get back on track. How much longer does Vrabel want to be in Tennessee? Well. I think the question, and I'm, I'm, you kind of broke up a little bit there, but the variable question to me is, does he want to stay through a rebuild? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he wants to. What do you really have to build around if you're Tennessee right now? You've got the best running back in the league, but the tires are worn, and I'm not right. seeing anything is wrong. I mean, you've got, I think in, in, in all honesty, I think Mike Vrabel is a top three, at least four coach in this league. And you're giving him a maybe 26th at best roster. Yeah, he does not have a great roster. I, he's And I think he's a really good coach. I, I don't know how high up I'd rank him. I don't really think that way. But he's worthy of being a top coach in the league. The issue now, they don't have quarterback. I mean, what do, you, what do they really have at quarterback? They have Ryan Tannehill, which they don't trust. Malik Willis was an abstract disaster. Yes. I said a couple weeks ago, you got Ryan Tannehill. Derek Carr is available. Is Derek Carr an upgrade from Tannehill? No. Yeah, slightly. Well, barely, but but, but, I mean, you're you're not – I don't think he's worth the – He's not moving the needle? He's, I don't think I he's worth paying the more money that he would require of That's the thing. Tannehill. Yeah, you have to pay him so much. And to get out of Tannehill now, you'd have to cut him. He'd save you $18 million on the cap, but you'd have seventeen in dead money. So right. where do you go? Where do you go? Obviously, ten. They, they have to have a better quarterback. They're in a shit division. I mean, it's not like it's not like they're in the AFC West or even the NFC West. You got the Colts, the Jags, and the Texans. Granted, yeah. they're showing promise. But it's not like you have fucking Mount Everest to climb here to get to the top of that division. You're right in that that's a really – it can be – one team can easily make it out the pack. But it ain't Malik like Willis. That's like Malik. what I might have an earlier with the Jags. It's like, okay, well, they, they got a chance to do something. Do it. 
we talked a couple weeks ago about how I thought the Texans' job was a great job because you can maybe build that fast. There's a lot of hard questions if you're the Titans right now. And I don't know what the right answer is to a lot of these. I just know that the quarterback's a big issue, and there's someone who's going to have to draft another one. I mean, and we and what's great, which I, well, I love this about Derrick Henry, I've never heard Derrick Henry bitch. No. He's not, not hardly not, at all. Granted, he's getting paid, but if he wants a championship, he right now he's showing Damian Lillard uh, levels of loyalty to a, a franchise that has never had really any success. And maybe hats off to Derrick Henry, and maybe he's getting that money, but and maybe th- that's not his priority. Maybe not to maybe get to the Super Bowl, but uh, you know, at this yeah. point, like he's got what I give him three more years of top tier status, and then he's probably going to fall off. Father times that got to catch up because they're running him like a dog. Yeah, yeah. Well, Derrick Henry's going to turn twenty nine this season, and I just pulled him up on over the cap. He's got he's void his next two years after this season are void years. So the question then becomes to me, if you're in a rebuild, you don't really have a quarterback you like. Derrick Henry might be the piece that you can dangle in front of somebody to get a high draft pick. Yeah. I mean, you could look at even look at that division, look at the running backs in that division. You got Derrick Henry top tier. Then you got Jonathan Taylor, maybe the two best backs in the whole league. Uh-huh. The two best backs in the whole league. Um, and they're both – they both do not make the playoffs. If that's not a testament that running backs don't get you very far, maybe that's something too. You got, what, Travis Etienne in Jacksonville coming off injury this year. Had a decent year. And then obviously the Texans might as well be an XFL franchise. Um, I mean, ETN is going to be really good if the Jags commit right. to more. Right. Well, and you think about like if the Titans were to dangle and trade up um, to find that quarterback they like picking ahead of them. Um, just thinking about teams that are a playmaker away from being a contending team the Seahawks, the Lions. The Raiders, um, I mean, even the Eagles pick one spot above them. I, I don't know if that necessarily worked for them if they want to move up just one spot. But nonetheless, there could be some suitors potentially that could give Tennessee a chance to move up and, and trade. One of, those, one of those hit my ears and went, there you go. And that's the Lions. Yeah. I mean, they have a good, they have a good running back room. Well, yeah, but you can go with both of them. And you've got a guy who Jamal Williams who can do who can catch more passes and is more in open space. And then you just got Derrick Henry, who's a freaking sledgehammer. And tell me that he doesn't fit a Dan Campbell offense. No, he definitely does. That's gritty. That's Memphis style shit. Yeah. And you'd be picking at six. I would guess that Stroud or Levis, either one, would be available uh for that number six pick or something. Yeah. I, would, I wonder if Levis still. Because I, I, we all think Bryce Young is going to go one. Stroud's going to go two, three, four, somewhere in there. Someone's going to take him. I've seen Levis as high as five. I don't know that he's really worthy of five, but someone's good. Someone falls in love with every, with every quarterback. 
Yeah. So will someone fall in love with him and move up to the top five? You know, is that something the Titans would be willing to do? Put together a deal that would include a Derrick Henry. Well, and you then, I was would thinking, someone be willing when, to rework his contract? When you said Detroit grind city type style things, I was thinking, well, what about the Chicago Bears? Another great example. I mean, I, the Bears are so far off right now. I well, mean, the Bears have got to figure out what they want with Justin Fields. Right. Is it Justin Fields or is it Bryce Young? If they don't get Bryce Young and they stick with Fields, wouldn't Derrick Henry be a solid addition to that offense? You you take a little bit off of Fields having to literally play Spencer Sanders um, and literally be the quarterback and the running back. I, I'm not I, giving I, up the number one pick to go for Derrick Henry. Well, I don't, no. I, no, but he'd be a good – like where you'd have to give three ones – He'd be the good third one. You know what I mean? Right. But I also – I it sounds like this GM doesn't like Fields. Yeah, what it if you – like we're right. more apt to see the Bears stay at one and draft and, and draft Bryce Young and trade Fields away. Yeah. Field, fields and maybe another pick for Derrick Henry, and you get Bryce Young and you pair Young up with Henry – I don't know. I mean, it, yeah. Chicago's been a mess for a long time. Um, yeah. Um, Bo, let me ask you about this uh, whole Eric enemy situation. He goes off to the Commanders and and uh, becomes offensive coordinator. And you know, I, I, I got to tell you, you know, I, I understand that Eric enemy had his legal issues in the past, but it is a damn shame that it got to this point of him having to go to the commanders of all teams to be offensive coordinator, to, to try to prove himself of some sorts, you know, I mean, like, uh, it, it's just absurd. Like he worked with Andy Reid. He won two Super Bowls. I know you got people like LaShawn McCoy that say he hasn't proven a damn thing, but I mean, you, you can only fake it so much. I mean, there, there's no way that he could be a fraud and, and be involved and have the impact that he did with, with those two Super Bowls. I mean, uh, I mean, he had to be involved in some way, shape, or form. I don't care what Shady McCoy says or anything like that. I mean, Eric B. Enemy yeah. could coach. I, this, this sh- even if he was leaving Kansas City to go to the Commanders, I mean, how, how uh, this just absurd. Yeah, I I'll say it like this: I don't agree with a lot of what Shady McCoy said. I do understand where he's coming from because we don't know. We we haven't known this whole time. How much is Andy Reid? How much is Mahomes? How much is this is is the enemy? We know they all don't get along when it comes to play calling. We know that. And what the assumption that I have made over the last year, especially, is that what it is is that Reid and Mahomes like to drum up into dirt stuff, and the enemy likes more of the plan it out. You know, go for, you know, get them to do this defensively, so we can hit them with this offense. Um, that's what my understanding is. It's what I believe and what I've seen. I think that he's going into a no-win situation, unfortunately. They're not going to be good. The commander's offense will not be good. He's not going to have a good quarterback. It doesn't matter what he comes in there with. They're just not going to be good enough. And the reason for him leaving is because he wants to be a head coach. 
But this is a step back. Now, if he proves us wrong and he goes in there and does fantastic and the offense is all his and he's a, and he's a genius, bless him. And I'm, I'm rooting for that. That's what I'm rooting for. But I don't think this is a good situation for Eric Bieniemy. But I don't think that it was a good situation to stay either. I think that there was no way that those three were going to work it all out, him and Reed and Mahomes. So I think in the end, you just got to look at it and go, okay. But why the commanders, though? There were other OC openings he could have had. Yeah, but I think in the end, well, and I think also, I think the important part was that he gets to go work with Ron Rivera, a a well-respected guy who's going to just hand him the offense. This is yours. So he's putting trust in the enemy. And Rivera has been more of a defensive guy. You know, he won't be Riverboat Ron as much with Eric Bieniemy because Bieniemy is going to be calling the plays. He's going to be making, the, he's going to be making the, the offensive game plans, everything. So to me, it's really interesting, but I just, it's almost a no-win for me for Bieniemy unless he is just spectacular. And I just don't know that he can be. You know, I, I don't know if you saw it. Did you watch uh, Game Theory with Beaumont Jones this past no. Friday night? They did a great piece on Eric Bieniemy and saying, hey, there's rumors about him not being great at the interviews and that people are saying he knows the running backs, but he doesn't know the quarterback position as well as he should. Those are a lot of things that are there that, yeah, that's that's there could be some truth to that. We won't know till we see it. It just seems like there could have been better options for Eric Bieniemy, but it, I would assume that his choice was some kind of familiarity with Ron Rivera, an OG of a guy, and someone that he could say, "Hey, I'm turning this over to you. I trust you." And there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at you know the situation with the Kansas City Chief. You've won two Super Bowls in the last four years. And I understand that he, you know, was sharing play calling duties with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes that, you know, it was a collective effort. Um, But with the way that the Chiefs have this good thing going right now, I mean, I know that he wants to be a head coach, but not all NFL head coaching jobs are created equal. I would argue, Bo, that being offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs is better than some NFL head coaching jobs. I mean, yeah, like the enemy. Well, I mean, not, not only uh, are you, I feel like making a mistake going to the commanders here, but this such aggressive pro, a push of, you know, I, I got to do this because I got to be a head coach. I mean, be careful what you wish for. I put it that way. I think this has more to do with what's happened behind the scenes than it does just getting Eric Bennett be enemy a head coaching job. I think there's a riff. I think there's been a riff. I do too. And I think that's what the biggest part of this is. I think that all parties knew Eric Bieniemy was not going to be with the Chiefs in 2023. Whether they won the Super Bowl or not, I think all parties knew. Yeah. And I think that that's the reason. And he just took what he thought would be the best situation for his own personal growth. I mean, Andy Reid has said so much when he's talked about it at the Super Bowl, when he was talking – that week about, you know, he's a great piece of what we have, and we look forward to seeing what he's going to do in the future. But he wasn't talking about it as, 
he's looking forward to what he's going to do in the future with the Chiefs. Right. And they never made Eric Bieniemy a promise that, hey, when Andy Reid's gone, you're the next coach. No, in That's fact. That's what you could have you put a placated. In fact, uh, the rumors have been circulating that they want Mac Nagy to be the next head coach after Andy's done. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. He's going to be the OC this coming year. All right. I mean, it's, yeah. Um, last thing on the NFL, then uh, we'll move on and uh, talk some college football. Uh, Derek Carr, uh, looks like things didn't necessarily work out uh, with uh, getting the trade he wanted. And, you know, he had to visit New Orleans, everything. Now his brother, David, uh, says that he's going to take a lot of time to make his full decision here. Um, Bo, what, what's going to happen with Derek Carr, you think? Okay, let me say my opinion first. I just pray he's anywhere but New Orleans. I've already said as a Saints fan, if Derek Carr is our quarterback this year, I'm boxing up all my gear and I'm a, and I'm a free agent until he's gone. It's a horrible mistake to bring him into the New Orleans New Orleans Saints. Um, where do I think he's going to end up? I think he's going to end up being the, the, um, the, the consolation prize to whoever doesn't get Aaron Rodgers. Whether that be the Raiders, he goes back to the Raiders. I don't think that's going to happen. But if Carr, if Rodgers goes to the Raiders, Carr goes to the Jets. If Rodgers goes to the Jets, Carr goes somewhere else. I pray it's not New Orleans. Yeah. Um, you know, the thing that Derek Carr should be most pissed about is that they didn't force – he and his agent didn't force a better deal on the Raiders last year. Yeah. Because he should have got cut last year when they had the salary cap. They didn't have an issue. They cut it. They could have cut him last year and renegotiated something or gotten something for him. We were talking about that this time, this time last year. Well, then they go and get in. They, they sign him to an extension, but they're able to cut him after the first year as long as they cut him by it was the end of February, and he got nothing else. He got just what he got paid last year. He had no other guarantee on a long-term contract. Who's his agent? He got to be right. pissed at his agent that he didn't get any other any other any other guaranteed money in an extension. He just got basically franchise tagged, right, for less money than a franchise tag. So it, I'm not a believer of Derek Carr. I never have been. I never will be. I don't think he's a good quarterback. I think he's in the bottom half of the starting quarterbacks in the league. There are easily 15 I would take before him. And I don't know where he ends up, but someone's going to be disappointed. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Overpaying for an average to below average quarterback. Yes. Average at best. He doesn't make good decisions with the ball. He's not especially athletic. He doesn't have a really great arm. And his decision-making sucks. Yes. He's not a good quarterback. No. He sounds like a New York Jet. <laughs> sounds like a New Orleans Saint pre-Drew Brees. Oh, man. If This is why I say as a Saints fan, if he ends up in New Orleans, I'm done. I'm flat done. Who was, who was, the, quarter, who was the quarterback before Brees? What's his name? We had uh, – uh, we had Aaron Brooks. Aaron Brooks. Bobby Bear. I mean, we had Aaron Brooks is a decent quarterback. 
Was that starter jacket Aaron Brooks? Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, let's move on now. Uh, talk some uh, realignment <laughs> stuff. Uh, Pac-12 TV negotiations seem to be going very poorly. The latest report that came out Wednesday was that Apple TV Plus is now the favorite to land the Pac-12 deal and that uh, Amazon and ESPN's interest is dwindling. CBS and Turner are already out. Fox is only willing to do a do a deal if it's pennies on the dollar. Uh, Bo, this is falling apart very quickly for the uh, the Pac-12. I mean, if, if they do a digital deal with with Apple TV Plus, I don't care what the price tag is. If they go all in on Apple TV Plus, um, that's setting up to be a disaster, right? Yeah, yeah. If it's Apple TV. I mean, just because and it's not there's not quality to the name Apple TV. It's just that you're not going to find it easily. You know, right. you want to watch a game at night. You're not going to be able to find it easily if you got to go go to Apple. This is the problem with the streaming services. And I, I the Pac-12 is in trouble. Well, they they screwed this thing up. I mean, they they had the advantage this a year and a half ago, and we talked a lot about. It was a race between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. And it looked like the Pac-12 was going to be ahead of the game because they had, you know, uh, an ex-MGM gambling guy. It was like they they were at the forefront of what teams were going to do. They have no clue what they're doing now. And they are now at the mercy of who will give them something, anything. And it looks like if the Big 12 makes their deal, I think I saw you share this on Twitter, that the Big 12's new deal could be expandable by bringing in more teams. Yes. Why would you just go raid the Big 12, the Pac-12, all their best teams? Right. At this point. I mean, go call Oregon, go call Washington. Um, I saw something today. There was a rumor out there that the Apple TV deal – could pay Pac-12 members $18 million compared to Big 12 members that are going to get at least 31 and have the ability to bring in more members. Simple yeah. math, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that's simple math, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's it's looking very bleak. And doesn't, doesn't it feel like a ticking time bomb at this point? I mean, s- something's got to give here. Yeah, the whole thing, it's this is a, a big time clusterfuck in this whole Big 12 and Impact 12 thing. Uh, the Big 12's in the driver's seat. So I know you asked me something else, but it broke up there for a second. Oh, I said, uh, doesn't it feel like a ticking time bomb? Like, you know, oh, yeah. something yeah, with Pac 12 that they'll, they'll be, I think, you know, kind of who's going to flinch first? Who is going to be? the first one of those Pac-12 members to step out and say, we're headed towards the Big 12, and then the rest will follow. Yeah, it's like the good, the bad, the ugly. You get the three guys lined up, and who's going to draw their gun first um, and who they're going to shoot with it. I, I think what you got to do is you got to find a partner and go. So if you're Arizona and Arizona State, you just say, let's go together. You know, if you're Oregon and, and, and Washington, let's go together. You know, you got to team up with something like that and just get it done. You know, it's not going to be picking off one at a time. It's going to be in twos 
and, you know, Colorado and Utah get together, say, hey, we're going. But otherwise, the Pac-12 can turn into the Mountain West. Right. You know, um, you're going to be a second-tier second tier league. No one's really watching unless they're gambling on the game. One more thing on this, uh, and then we'll move on here. Um, there were reports that came out that uh, Oregon and Washington – wanted some type of grant of rights exemption to be able to go to the Big Ten if they got an offer uh, at that point. If you're the Big 12 here, Bo, you're coming in right now, unfamiliar territory, a position of strength. If I'm Brett Yormark, if I'm the Big 12 commissioner, I'm not giving anyone any special rules or any treatment. You're at a point where if Oregon and Washington are saying that, like, hey, we don't have to have you here uh, and sure. you just got rid of texas who had a whole strangle hold on the conference here and was always wanting the special treatment and everything if if oregon and washington don't want to play ball and get treated like everybody else uh fine go get the other schools then you don't have to have them yeah i mean at this point what's the advantage i mean the Big Ten doesn't get anything else out of having Oregon and Washington unless the deal expands. Yeah. So if you're Oregon and Washington, you're just trying to find a lifeboat right now. Get the best one you can get. And then whether that's you, – you want it to be the Big Ten, but if not, it's the Big 12. You get get the go. best one you can get and fall in line. Like, yeah. Big 12 doesn't need to be, you know, saying like, hey, we'll take you, but you can go to the Big Ten if you want to down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it's going to, I wouldn't, if I was the big 12, it's you're either in or you're out. It's like, right. like ocean's 11. You're in or you're out. I mean, that's right now. No bullshit. Yeah. We're not going to let you try to finagle your way into coming here for a year or two or for a few months until you think you can make a better side deal. Right. Um, last thing we'll end on this uh, XFL made it's uh return this week for the third time, um, this time under the direction of The Rock. I didn't get to see any of it. I was, uh, of course, in Daytona and everything. Bo, uh, did you get a chance to see it? What, what do you think of this uh, this version of the show? I didn't get a chance to watch any of it. And I would have liked to have it. You know, I'm a football nerd. Um, I made a point. This was – let me make sure I get this right. Late last week, Thursday or Friday night, I was – on my computer, and I was uh, with the ESPN.com, and I said, I want to know who's on these rosters for these XFL teams. And I couldn't find them. Yeah. I went to the XFL's website, and I couldn't find a roster. If I don't know who's on the teams, how can I watch the game? Right. What's my rooting interest? So I, I made a joke. It was like, okay, let me pull these XFL teams up. So what's in it for me to watch a game like this coming on Thursday night? What's in it for me to watch the St. Louis versus Seattle game? And, yeah, they may have cool names, but here on ESPN's website, I can't even see what their their team names are. Right. Like, I know that Josh Gordon is going to be playing for the Sea Dragons, and that's it. Yeah. See, like, I don't even know that. I saw that Jordan Tiamu was on Tiamu is on one of the teams who I like when he's in Mississippi State. He played well in the USFL, I think it was two years ago, or the XFL. He was in one of those leagues. XFL, yeah. Ago. Yeah. And he played great during that. My question is 
if I don't know who the players are, and it, I get it, we're not going to know who everybody is, but if you're going to have some names, I need to know who they are because why am I just going to openly, why would I root for a team from St. Louis or Seattle? <laughs> what, what's in it for me? If yeah, I why would anyone be a St. Louis fan? Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, you live in Dallas, so you've got an Arlington team. Okay, that's great. But then there's also a Houston team, a San Antonio team. You know, what about someone who lives in California and there's no California teams? Right. Who are you going to root for? The Vegas Vikings. What's in it for me to root for you? Right. Give me a reason to want to have an experience of the game. Right. Whether that's a rooting interest I can't gamble on this because I don't know who the hell in these teams are. I mean, I guess you can because it's out there. But, again, why would I gamble on it if I don't know who's on the teams? Right. I mean, that's just like gambling on freaking table tennis on DraftKings. I don't know who these people are. <laughs> so I, I hope that the XFL works so that these players who are in the XFL have an opportunity to play, to play football, to be professionals, to get a career out of it. And maybe that helps them to the next level to go back to the NFL or to the NFL. But I, I need a reason to root for it. Yeah. Give that to me. Give me a reason to root for it. And I'm in. I like that. Um, and, you know, the USFL will be starting in, uh, in April uh, for season two of that league. I'm very curious, Bo. Both these leagues are going to be going on at the same time. Uh, spring football has been known, the, the, the running joke, how spring football tends to fail. Um, two spring leagues at the same time? I mean, how, how's that going to work? I, you know, we got two different things in there. They're both back two different ways. You know, with Fox owning the USFL and having to deal with the NFL with it. And they're basically trying to use it as a feeder system in a way. The XFL is, you know, basically a conglomerate coming on and buying this thing out of out of um, out of bankruptcy. Yeah, I mean, and buying it and saying, okay, well, let's see what we can market out of this. They put the Rock's name on it, and I get it; it's the Rock and it's his ex-wife who are the the, the money people here. But I brought this point up on Twitter. Are we getting tired of the Rock? Is his name really valuable anymore? I'll bring it up this way. I'm a fan. I like The Rock. I was a WWE guy. I love The Rock in the WWE. He got into these Fast and Furious movies a number of years ago. and kind of relit those things up. Now he's out of them because he doesn't like him and Vin Diesel don't get along. But he now he, anything he touches, he has his tequila. He has... He tried to do the Black Adam movie. I don't know if you've seen that or not, where he was trying to make that like the new Superman. Yeah. It was not a bad movie. I just watched this past week, actually. But just putting his name on something does not give it as much credibility as he thinks it does. Right. He's losing some of his own credibility. And I think that The Rock being the front man for the XFL is a bad idea. Yeah. I don't think he has the right credibility this yeah i i think i think vince doing it last time was it, it, it vince was i think got people in the wrestling and crowds attention but yeah oliver lock being involved got the football fans attention like okay this is yes. still 
That's, that's what Vince did really well the second time was he went and got Oliver Luck, and they would have survived if COVID hadn't happened. Right. COVID. This time, okay, you got the, the Rock, which is, I guess, in the same you know facet as uh, you know Vince McMahon, but you don't have that defining football guy, you know, that has the football credibility. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is it's not there's not a football credible person here. Right. Oliver Luck had the credibility. Right. And and people, and you know, the average Joe doesn't know who that is. I mean, they don't know him any more than being Andrew Luck's father. But the people behind the scenes, Oliver Luck carried a lot of credibility because of his being a commissioner in the Pac-12, being the head of the college football playoff at one time, being high up in the NCAA. He had brought an incredible amount of credibility to the XFL. Right. That unfortunately, right. Rock can't do. Like Russ Brandon is the XFL president. He's well respected in football circles, but the average Joe Schmo doesn't know who Russ Brandon is. They That's knew right. who Oliver Luck was. That's right. I mean, you know more about Oliver Luck than you did Russ Brandon. Yeah. Right. Nothing and, against Russ Brandon, just no one no. in non football circles knows who he is. Yeah. And, and again, so when the front man this time is The Rock, I wonder does he have the right credibility for this? This is the guy who uses up his credibility on energy drinks and movies and tequila. And he seems to be successful at most everything he does. Congratulations to him. He's, he's a huge, a huge movie star and everything else. But it, it, I tend to wonder what credibility can he bring to sports? Yeah. Is it the equivalent of Brad Pitt buying a sports league? Yeah. I mean, other than The Rock was a wrestler and he played football at Miami. Right. Bo, uh, we're out of time. Uh, appreciate yeah, you joining us as exactly. always. Uh, what's on the uh, po- Coach Bono's podcast this week? We just uploaded uh, uh, midweek this week. We've got Ellen and I talking college basketball, talking a little bit of the NBA All-Star game and that whole debacle and everything involving that. Uh, we'll be doing another one here in the next couple of days that we'll be talking about uh, a little more college basketball, and then get into NFL free agency. Finally, we've kind of avoided that these first couple of weeks to see what would happen, and not just jump right into it to kind of see how things like the Derek Carr thing was going to go. A couple of other ideas, and so now we kind of see that we see where the stuff's going to be. So we'll be talking a lot about that as well. Awesome stuff, Paul. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for the time as hey. always. Thanks a lot, Tyler. And Tom, be good, buddy. All right, final segment before we go. It is time for our Tom Fullery story of the week where we tell you something ridiculous happening in the world. And this time we'll head to the uh, New York Post is uh, where this uh, story comes from. Uh, The New York Post, my uh, personal favorite uh, paper of record. Uh, Here's how this goes. A man who calls himself a trophy husband has revealed that not only does he have three wives, but he doesn't work. Comparing his role in the uh, Homerius uh, family to that on a chessboard, data to Nick Davis says he doesn't have a job because the king doesn't move around much while the queens have all the power. Meanwhile, his three wives, April, Danielle, and Jennifer, all have full-time professions. Nick met his first wife, April, at university 15 years ago before they welcomed Jennifer into their marriage nine years later. While it may sound unusual, 38-year-old April says she's happy to have extra women in the relationship to meet Nick's needs. 
Nick's a lot to handle, let's just say, in a lot of ways. Nick is a lot to handle in bed, she told TLC's Seeking Sister Wife program. Nick's a lot to handle in general with his personality. It's nice to all they have helping hands. In fact, it was actually April who introduced her 39-year-old husband to 25-year-old Jennifer, who was 19 at the time, thinking she would be a good fit for their family. It just became evident to me that she was a great person, and there was a lot of high intellect in the big brain of hers, and I knew that Nick would find her attractive, April shared. Nick explained that he likes to be snuggled up in the middle and of his wives at night, but that sex always occurs in different areas of the home with each wife. When the family appeared on Seeking Sister Wife last year, they welcomed 22-year-old Danielle into their family. In a wedding ceremony with the, his two other wives by his side, Nick said he was living the dream as he committed to Danielle. Having three wives, knowing they've all solidified our union and brought it together like we have, it's just unbelievable. I just feel like I'm just living a dream come true. I honestly don't think this could ever happen, Danielle added. I don't think happiness like this existed until I found love. And now the Davis family has grown even more after Jennifer welcomed their first child together, Herrera, in June last year. Nick also has an older teenage son from a previous relationship. So uh, that is how that story goes. Uh, let me tell you, uh, Nick, you are a total loser, okay? I mean, no man, no man should ever need more than one wife. And no no wife should ever need more than one man. Uh, you, should, you should not need more than one partner. Let's put it that way. Um, that is just absolutely gross and disgusting. And you're not a king. You are a loser. Um, you know, you're, you're bragging about, oh, you don't have to work. I mean, you know, that, that, that just goes against every fiber of our being here. You know, as men, we have an obligation to be providers, to be leaders of the household. And, you know, to go about and, and be, you know, an example for our kids and everything. And this guy here, you know, just, I mean, he, he can just go to hell here. I mean, just go to hell with a handbasket. I mean, that, that's not how life is supposed to be. And, you know, just looking for handouts here and having everybody else do the work for you here. I mean, just what a loser this guy is. And I'll say this, I, I feel bad for the women and the kids here because why would you want to be a part of this? What makes this dude so special? He doesn't even work, okay? What do you want to do being around this guy? That's who I feel bad for is the women and the kids here that feel like that they want to be a part of this. To me, it just makes absolutely no sense why they would go about it this way. So, um, yeah, that, that that's my take, my input. Look, you know, what, what, what do we say around here from time to time? Is that you got to find your own happiness, then you got to do what's best for you and those around you, and you got to find your own happiness. But eventually, your own happiness comes at a cost, and it hurts other people too. Can you imagine what this is going to do to these kids mentally? I mean, you know, th this is not what the nuclear family is supposed to be, folks. I can tell you this right now. And, you know, there's a reason why, folks, that it's not normal to have multiple spouses and do things that way. I know that they did things like that in the early Bible days and 
they were trying to populate the earth. But I mean, I can tell you this right now: we, we don't have any. We're not short of people right now. You, you, it's not. You don't need to be married and you know having sex with all these different people for the obligation of trying to populate the earth. You know, we're we're not we're not struggling on that front, folks. Um, but I gotta say. You know, along those same lines, am I shocked? Am I surprised that this type of deal goes on? No. Now, what is interesting was it didn't say in the article where this was from. My guess would be probably Utah, right? Because all the crazy stuff happens in Utah. I mean, uh, what, what did Shaq say about Utah this week with the All-Star game there? That city is boring as hell. Uh, nothing to do in Utah. You know, just ridiculous, you know, what goes on in Utah. I would have to guess that this were, that this is where this guy's from. Now, here's something interesting. Okay, I am a single man. I am not with a a woman at this point in time. Um, you know, am I open to it? Of course. You know, I'm I'm, I'm very open to the possibility. But you know, you find love naturally, and you know, you let it play out. You don't force things, of course. Um, but I'm not dating anybody, and you know I live by myself. I take care of myself. I work and everything. I mean, like, how did this guy convince not just one, but what is it like three women to be with him, and then for him not to work here? I mean, like, what, what, what did this guy do? I mean, something doesn't add up. How do you convince all these women? to just take care of you so you can sit on your ass and be a bum um, while they're doing everything else. It just doesn't add up at all how this guy can get away with this type of thing. That that women, you know, want to be with him. Multiple women. I mean, folks, you know, one of the things I, 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 I preach, one of the things I believe very much so is never settle. That... You know, no matter the circumstance, that you don't have to sit up for less, that you can have it all, that you can have everything you want, you can have the best life that you can make for yourself and you put in the work and you, you do those things. And, and ladies, ladies, I got to tell you, uh, know your self-worth. Know how important you are, how valued you are. You don't need to be messing around with some fool who won't even work who wants to sleep with other women, you know, and have them in the, under the same roof. You, you don't need to settle for that. You don't need to settle for these guys like this. Look, you know, I understand that there's like this whole bad boy idea. You know, there are some women out there that don't want to be with a nice guy. You know, they want to be with a bad guy. And maybe this guy at one point had a, had a bad boy approach that was attractive that you found appealing. At the end of the day, I don't care how much of a bad boy he may be. At the end of the day, I mean, he's he's a loser. He doesn't, he doesn't have anything going for him. He doesn't have a job. You know, I mean, like, he, 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 what as good as this guy done for the world? You can do better off. You deserve better than being with a fool like this. So that is uh, that is my, my take today, folks. Um Ladies out there, know your worth. You are you are better than having to settle to share a man with anybody, and you know to have to make a guy, uh, you know, for a guy to rely on you for income, to not make a living for himself. Uh, 
don't have to settle for that. You, you deserve more than that. If any, if no one tells you that, know that I told you that. Okay. Uh, that, that's my word of advice today. So there you have it. What an awkward story, uh, to say the least. But I hope I entertained you and I kept it real with y'all. Uh, we are we are an anti-polygamy podcast. I can tell you that right now. We, we do not believe in polygamy. We don't encourage that. And uh, hopefully y'all don't, don't fall in line for, for that garbage uh, that, that uh, you, you can be better off. You know your worth and don't have to settle for losers like this guy here. So uh, big thanks to Tim Fitzgerald for joining us. Uh, Coach Bo, Thomas Bridges, our entire crew as always. You can follow the show uh, on social media, facebook.com slash Live, facebook.com slash studio soapbox twitter at tyler jones live twitter at studio underscore soapbox uh instagram jones underscore report tyler jones live there also uh uh check us out uh, on all podcast platforms subscribe leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all uh and we certainly would appreciate it we'll uh see you right back here same bad time same bad place uh here on the jones port uh brand new show next week look forward to it uh, check out all the Studio Soapbox Network, Let's Go Racing, uh, Raw Tools, Coach Bono's show, all of that uh, on all podcast platforms. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us here at the Jones Support. Have a great week, everybody.